we are live. Uh, you do one chat. Just swap it over to the next slide here and show us. And one of these days, I will have that automated, and it'll look a lot smoother than than what I just did. <laughs> <laughs> How's everybody doing tonight? Drinking coffee at seven thirty. Don't mind me. One a.m. in Ireland. God damn. <clears throat> I'm always amazed at how many people we have stay up that late for our live streams. Like, we we got to be doing something right if people like us to stay up that late. Yeah, especially if they want to listen to my monotone voice, right? <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, based on this slide, I won the painting contest, guys. That's that's my model. That's the winner. Thank you. I'll be sending myself a box of guides. No, 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 no. I was the real winner because I didn't have to paint a night relator. Yes. I didn't have to put myself through it. <laughs> it's actually a really cool model, right? The contest, uh, like, none of the photos you'll see show all the cool details. Like, the best part of the model is the back. The reliquary on his back is really sick. Like, I would love to have this model. It's a model you have to see in 3D, you know? Not the kind of yeah, thing I you can... Oh. Yeah, absolutely. All joking aside, it does look like a great model to paint, from what I've seen. Mm -hmm. I just like to meme on the thing. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> let What's up, ACP? Just give everybody a couple minutes, get settled in here. Maybe Morgonk will grace us with his presence. What have you been uh, painting up lately, James? You want to show the chat? Um, yeah, let me go get sort of, but, like, do you want me to show off the walls, uh, drakes, what do we got going on? All of it, man, let's see it. Alright, just give me a few. Yeah. What do you guys think about the current state of the game? What does chat think about it? I wonder if our thoughts will be aligned. I have a lot of opinions. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Adar. Appreciate that, buddy. Let's see what you've been painting up, James. All right, so how far are we into 2021 or 2022 at this point? Three weeks or so? Three weeks, yeah. Yeah. So first project 2021 was to paint two of these bad boys up. So, so you got Storm Strike Chariots. Uh, this was probably the um, fun thing about this one was that this was my first like full airbrush project. Yeah, that's right. You got them for Christmas, right? Yeah, I got a, a Wada Neo for Christmas, which is a fantastic airbrush when it comes to um, doing like high coverage and base coating. Mm -hmm. So what I figured the storm trick cherry would probably take me like a week to do one assembly of, I knocked out two of them in the matter of a weekend. Nice. Very nice. And you're already and then, a pretty speedy painter. So that's a good time. Yeah. Next up. First big 
model of the year. Yeah, we nice. got Corundus Eye. Nice job on those uh, swirling galaxies there. Yeah. You don't mind if I steal that, right? <laughs> no, by all means, man. Sweet. I think uh, I think Ox King was planning on doing something like that. Sorry if I spoiled anything there, Oxking. Everything Shout that guy Ox does is, well. is wonderful. I love that guy. He's gonna, he, yeah, he's gonna knock my work out of the park, quite frankly, or just make my stuff look look, mm -hmm. uh, look to shame. He he put up this uh, uh, Night Judicator. I love how he clips bits off uh, different endless spells and puts them in the right spots. And his Night Judicator has it right on the tip of the arrow, and the whole thing is lit up beautifully. It's such a cool model. Yeah. Uh, Storm Drake Guard first test models done. So nice. just for the dragon. What color are you, and then are you doing your uh, standard Thunder Strike scheme for those guys? Like uh, you do like yeah. silver and purple, right? Silver, purple, gold accent with a little bit of red. Nice. Actually, on that note, you can see the armor plating on the Storm Drake there. Mm -hmm. And then finally, to get ready for battle reports as they're coming, Paul gave me a bunch of terrain this week to work on. And yeah, I got most of it done at this point. Yeah. Yeah, that color scheme is going to look really good on a white table. On yeah. that, uh, that winter mat that we bought, that's going to look dope. Yep. And how about you, Paul? Uh, what have I been painting? Yeah. Uh, that night relicter over there, and a night arcanum, and that's that's it. <laughs> I do batch painting, so like I have uh, three grand hammers that are pretty close to being done too. They're all in another room. They're not near, and uh, I'll, I'll finish them off eventually. Yeah. Yeah. I interrupted you in the middle of there or something. Uh, something you were saying there. I don't even remember. It's fine. All right. So let's talk about the. Night Judicator painting contest. Um, so this was the first painting contest, and it was really just an excuse to paint the Night Relictor because we kind of meme on him a little too much, and I feel like I'm never going to paint him if I keep talking about him the way that I've been talking about him. And uh, I thought it'd be fun to just have an excuse to paint one, and we'd involve other people, and we thought, um, you know, use some of this AdSense big bucks <laughs> to uh, give back a little bit. So thought we could uh, offer some people an, an actual prize worth something instead of, well, you know, it is a real prize to get on Lords of the Storm. That's uh, that's an excellent accolade there. And yeah, so we got a bunch of submissions. We ran it from Boxing Day until this past Sunday on the 16th. And we thought we would pick out five that we really like and then declare a winner and go from there. And we'll, uh, we'll be reaching out to the winner privately and get their contact information and ship them a box of their choice. So overall, it was really fun. I'm surprised some people, we had some people like right away submit models. And then I think one guy was like less than an hour before the deadline. <laughs> he managed to submit a model, which is crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, we see it all the time, quite frankly, in the Paintcast channel. But uh, the Night Relicter comp uh, competition is really showcased that we do have a lot of talented individuals in this um community here so shout out to everybody even if you didn't um participate in the contest yeah yeah it's uh it's made me excited more excited for the next one and we have some ideas for for what that's gonna be but we'll we'll wait <laughs> there's enough going on right now so we'll figure it out uh spagwag says night judicator comp next been liking him lately yeah i'm really liking uh, the night judicator uh, too man yeah um I, I, everybody seems to be on the adjudicator bandwagon right now. <clears throat> I still think 
he's not in the same tier as regular adjudicators, right? Because you form lists around regular adjudicators. You don't form lists necessarily around a knight adjudicator. He's not your typical shooting unit. You have to have a, a very specific game plan when you want to use him. But he's got so yeah. much. He's got a lot more utility than we gave him credit. And I will, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll admit I was wrong on that one. Yeah, I'll be right back. My track leans are doing something suspicious in the background. <laughs> okay. here uh jose says game seems fun but there's still a bunch of haves and have nots yeah that's definitely on my list of things to talk about right now the disparity between some factions is like it's huge right like some factions are so strong so many options and then others are beasts of chaos beasts of chaos <laughs> <laughs> And it sucks, man. I, I, I wish every army was good and powerful and fun and had new models. I, that, that's the game I want to play, right? Where everything is good. There's no bad options. Neve Black Talon. <laughs> yeah, maybe painting contest for Neve Black Talon. That could work. Celebrate the new Warhammer Plus series. Okay, yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad. We can uh, contact Games Workshop and be like, yo, guys, come on, we drove sales up. You know, <laughs> there you go, Mark Knight. All right, so let's get into our honorable mentions. So we just picked ones; these aren't in any order. These are just ones we 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 liked um, enough that we wanted to talk about on the stream. We liked, frankly, all the submissions. Um, we just can't fit them all in on a live stream; it would, it would take too long. And we got our live streams go long already, way too long. <laughs> I still feel bad about keeping AOS coach on here for like three hours. All right. So first up, we got this <laughs> one here from Blood Clot Plots, BCP, representing. So I really like this one. Uh, the color scheme is awesome. Red and silver, really complementary colors. I think they're really, really good. Um, in terms of technical, I think it could have pushed it a little bit more. You can see there's some... Uh, areas that are just a little bit flat. They could have used a bit of shading and highlighting, um, but it's a really good color choice, especially because the the use of teal and blue kind of adds extra colors onto his standard palette because he's posted stuff before and I know what his palette for his the rest of his Stormhost looks like. And adding those colors adds that extra little bit of pop so that if you're looking at this guy in a big crowd, you can be like, oh yeah, there, there's my Night Relic. I can tell my eyes drawn to that color that's out of place. And I really like that. What do you think about this guy, James? Yeah, I uh, the main thing that drew it to me, and um, he was um, on my top three submission for the judging, uh, was just the color palette itself. Like, I love the scheme on this one, so great uh, job, uh, Blood Clots. Um, and again, like you said, uh, the blue accents the um, orangey gold on this one quite well. Mm -hmm. it's, very, it's a very what warm appears gold. To be orange. Very warm yeah. gold, and then the red, and then you've accented it with, or contrasted it with the blue and teal. So I, I quite like that. Yeah. 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 Good job, man. This one looks good. It, I think um, highlights could have gone a little further, right? Especially like on the weapon, which is really sharp. You've got a lot of uh, sharp points. You could, um, the gold does, maybe it's just the photo, right? Because I can see there is some highlighting there. Maybe it's just the photo. Um, but I think you could have pushed the highlighting just a little bit further on some of the edges there, because there's a lot of sharp edges on this model that are contrasted with the flowing, billowing robes. So you have a lot of room there to to really make those edges stand out. 
I will say the blending on the rope does look pretty damn good. Yeah, the shading is good. I like it. Yeah. And the base, too. Um, I'll have to ask you and respond in the chat there when you have a chance there, PCP. If, uh, is that like green stuff that you cut into, or is that a roller? Or what exactly did you do there? Let us know. Moving on here to Clockwork. I appreciate two things about this one a lot. One, he gave it a title, which is Judgment Comes, which is very fitting because his scheme is like this grim, dark storm cast, right? Like he does this cool thing with with chain faces and hoods all over his guides. He's got a really um, pale, like pale blue, like navy blues. Looks really good. I've, I've seen his army. I think we've even shown him on the podcast before when we were doing our uh, tactics video. We had his storm host lined up against a bunch of other things. And again, he's got that little accent of this light blue. So this model is going to stand out against his whole army. So this one, yep. I, I really, I also just, the color scheme is great. The hood and chain face is great. That's such a good look for this model. Um, I definitely went the same way with my guy. I, I replaced the helmet right away. As soon as I replaced the helmet, I completely changed my opinion on this model. It looks much better without the default helmet. Yeah. Um, my take on this, um, I love the high contrast on this one. Um, you're sticking to a fairly monotonic scheme here, I'd say. But again, that little bit of blue does give it enough contrast to make it stand out. The base does the job well. It's simple. It uh, doesn't pull away from attention on the model. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, the... and again, um, sorry, go ahead. Oh, it's just, no, just finish. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just going to say, I like anything that could do something different with the Night Relicter head because I'm not the biggest fan of uh, with the head of the kit. So, yeah, and I didn't realize that it was the the helmet that was turning me off from the model pretty much, right? Because once you swap that out, this model looks way better. It's awesome. Yeah, uh, I really like the small hints of this kind of brassy gold that he puts in his scheme. Uh, just little bits here and there to to help off because it's a very muted scheme. Right, it's very it's dark robes, dark silver, um, black wash all over it looks like. So it's a very dark scheme. So having these little bits of a secondary metallic color really help keep it within that that metallic scheme, but um, it doesn't just kind of all blend together. That's one of the big problems with Stormcast and why I don't like the the hammers of Sigmar on old Stormcast in particular, because there's so many opportunities to mix it up. But when it's all gold, it just looks like gold plate with gold underplate and gold trim, and then it just does—it doesn't look great. Stormcast look better when you can accent their colors, in my opinion. So, for future contests, uh, you know my bias. <laughs> so I would say that, but I've done. See, when I when I started airbrushing, I tested on a um, uh, a sequitur, and honestly, hammers of Sigma really grew on me then. Uh, just doing the painting, On so sequers, I might end yeah. up doing some more test models. Yeah, do, yeah the, the problem with it is when it's just like gold armor on top of gold armor, but when you mix it up with robes, when you mix it up with all yeah, kinds yeah. of details, Hammers of Sigmar color scheme starts to look a lot better. And that's kind of what's going on here, right? Like it's silver and black. It's very monotone, like you said. So having these little bits here to mix it up, I really like. Yep. So nice job, Clockwork. I don't know if you're watching right now, but I'm sure you'll pick it up later. <laughs> Uh, next one here is from uh, next one is from Mark Knight. Uh, so we're talking of Hammers of Sigmar, and this is what I'm saying, right? Like if you look at the scheme, if this was just gold on gold on gold, it would just kind of be boring to look at. But because this model has these robes, it has these extra tassels, 
Uh, and you can see he's done little silver bits even there to break it up uh, from just the gold monotony. Yeah, this this is great. I, I especially like the tiered basing. It looks like cork. Uh, Mark, you can tell us in the chat if that if that cork looks or if that is cork because that's what it looks like. Um, but the red really contrasts well with the whole palette. And I'm I'm a big fan of either making really really contrasting bases or like bases that you just don't even look at at all, right? Like so either the base is just like the center of attention almost, right? Like it just contrasts the model so well that you can't help but notice it or it shouldn't be noticed at all, but anything in between starts to look weird in my opinion. So I, I like this. I think this is a great execution of the Hammers of Sigmar scheme. Especially you can see he's got really fine spot washing in all the, the edges, right? So if you look at the thigh plate, for example, thigh, thigh plate, that's what we're gonna call it, right? The hip plates, whatever. <laughs> you can see there's actually specific washing there and it looks like there's also like a gradient wash towards the bottom of that plate near the skull. Yep. So that's a little attention to detail that I really appreciate because that's what that's how you can push this scheme to look really good, right? If you just do the same flat gold all over, it starts to starts to get a little boring looking at these models. But I appreciate the extra little effort that Mark put into it here. Yep. Yeah. Um, honestly. This was one of the earlier submissions from what I remember, and this was one of my favorites in general uh, from them. Uh, it stuck with me up until the point where we were deciding our, um, uh, our contest winner here. And the thing that sticks out to me the most is just uh, the KISS rule, which is just keep it simple. Um, Hammers isn't a very... He does the job really well. And like you said, there's a lot of like subtleties here that I didn't even catch on to until you mentioned them. Uh, but that's what makes this one stand out a lot. Mm -hmm. I would like to see, Mark, if you can take another picture, I want to see what's going on with the um, the incense burner there. Because it looks a little out of focus in this photo. So if you could post another picture, I'd appreciate that. Because I want to see what's going on. It looks like there's some cool... It looks like it's like glowing. And I want to see how you pulled that off. So that's uh, that would be my only criticism here. Yeah, it does look like he it does look like he has has a little bit of OSL going on. Mm -hmm. Looks good, so I'd like to see yep. that. And um, I also like the skulls. Like, there's one in the chest, and then one on the tabard, and then one on the base. Like, it kind of just forms a line straight down from the right angle, which I I think is pretty cool. I don't know if you did that on purpose, but I think that's that's pretty cool. Okay, another one here. This is uh this one's from Bulkados. And I think it has a sick base. And that, that, you know, that's one of the reasons it's on this list. Straight up. This is a sick base. Um, and, the, and the tone of the model really fits that base. It doesn't, <clears throat> it doesn't overwhelm it. It, it complements it really well. This is a very um, dark character. And I don't know if it's just because of the photo, but it actually looks, the lighting is actually centered on this part of the model. And it's darker back here. Like, or I guess I should hold it this way. So if he's holding the sensor this way. Right, it looks like this part of the model is a bit darker, and I don't know if that's just from the photo, um, or if if it's actually darker back there. But it looks good in this photo, so I really like it. Yeah, so this one I gave the nickname of Sleepy Hollow just because I get the sort of vibe from it, and um, this was quite honestly my winner if I got it or if it was up to me alone. Um, just yeah, like uh, you said, Paul. Fantastic work on the base, and it doesn't draw attention away from the model. It's just there, and it's, I don't want to say subtle, but it still catches your eye enough to 
enhance the model itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and especially because the way the base is done too, it's very, um, I'd say, technically proficient, right? Because it actually gets brighter as you get towards the top of the model, so it draws attention to it, um, which it kind of draws attention to the focal points on the model too. So the base works really, really well with this, and I, I like it. Um, I'd like to know how he did the planks on the bottom there. They're like kit bashed from something, or if, if they're made from some kind of roller. I'd like to know that very much. Yeah. Um, Blood Clot Plots earlier in the chat said that the base that he did, that we were talking about, is a Green Stuff World rolling pin, cobblestone. Yeah. So that with Milliput. Yeah. Yeah. I've, se I've seen some, I've, I've used those, they're great. Um, yeah, also... I remember. I remember back when we were living at um, our old place with our buddies there. Uh, you and um, Baby Crans were testing out some of those rollers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they've only gotten better over time. The great, great product. Yeah. And uh, I've seen some people who just put like flat and green stuff out, and then they take a nut, uh, a cutting knife, and they just cut a grid into it. So I was wondering if it, that was it, or if it was a roller, because um, it looked like it was kind of centered in the in there. So cool, cool, cool. Uh, Mark Knight says, yes, that's cork on the base. Didn't notice about the skull alignment, but that sounds cool. We'll send a picture of the OSL effect on Discord. Cheers. Cheers, bud. Looking forward to that. All right. And I think up next is our winner, right? That's been that yep. fine. Yeah, OK. I wish we had a drum roll sound effect we could use. Got to get a soundboard going. We do, we do. Um, all right, so, oh, no, sorry, one more. I miscounted. One more. This is not the winner. Um, honorable mention. This is from Jansen Ring, and he's got this whole Stormcast army that uses... I, I love resin bases. I'm such a fan of using cool sculpted bases. I love having extra little details. I love any time Games Workshop um, puts out a model with a scenic base, like the whole base, not like a piece of it, like with Indrasta, which that drove me crazy. There was only that little bit there because he had to fill the rest of it in with some texture paint. It was a pain. And uh, Jansen Ring here definitely puts all the effort into these bases, and I, I love that. I, I had to put it on here just because I really I have that exact base. It's sitting in my pile of shame. I've, I haven't found a use for it yet, and I kind of regret not using it for the Night Collector now. Um, but yeah, he also uses these helmets, and I believe they're from Puppet War, and they're fantastic helmets. So I... I just really appreciate how much like extra detail went into converting. Converting is, you know, simple conversion, but still a good conversion. Yep, solid job overall for me. I'm loving the scheme on this one. Um, from what I'm seeing, I think it's non-metallic metal. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, there, Paul. It's hard to tell from this shot. I don't, I don't think so. It looks like true metal, but maybe he can let us know in the Discord. Yeah. Either way, you did a fantastic job with this one, especially on the contrast with the armor panels. Mm -hmm. I quite like these uh, these little panels that he puts on the bottom of his bases. I think he I think I talked to him about it once, and you, I don't want to get it wrong, but I think they're 3D printed. And yeah, I think I recall that. Yeah, and these are cool. I don't know how I feel about having an entire army of that because if you think you have like you know a squad of 15 vindictors and each one of them says vindictor on it, like it might start <laughs> getting getting a little bulky there. But uh, it's really cool. And I really like that, and especially for heroes. Um, I wonder if it's like detachable or something. It looks really cool, especially in a, like a display cabinet. That that's my jam. I would love to have that. Yep. I also like the work on the stone here. I think it could have been pushed a little bit further with contrast. Um, I think that the recesses could be a little bit darker on the stone, but it looks good overall. So, kudos. 
and this one's going to be our winner, right? Yep. Okay. <laughs> All right. First place is uh, Andreas SCE, and it's a great scheme. That it, like I have never seen a Stormcast scheme like this before. This is like some like you see people in 40k do really wacky schemes with their dudes, and you don't really see a lot of that in Age of Sigmar. And I think this is this is right up that alley. This is a very unique color scheme, which immediately draws the eye towards it. But it's also really technically proficient, and I really appreciate that about it. Um, the washes are really powerful. You can see there's non-metallic metal all over the model, which is a really... I haven't figured out how to do it yet, so that looks good to me. Um, and it's it's well-placed, too. You can see there's a specific shine across the model. Like, if you look at the loincloth, you'll see there's a specific glare across the whole piece. And it looks really good. Um, the purple cloth looks good. The black armor looks good. There's even like little chipping details that he put in. Uh, Non-metallic metal all over the whole thing, especially on the uh, like the little incense burner there. Looks really good. I'm a big fan of this model. So definitely, this is definitely, I think, the best one of the bunch. Yep. Very technical. You got some very good technical paint schemes going on here. Um, I got to admire it. Non-metallic metal, like Paul said, is something that... Uh, he hasn't figured out. I haven't figured out yet. I've uh, been looking into it a little bit more and more. I've always said that it's like master level painting technique, I want to say. Um, so yeah, kudos to you, man. Uh, this is a great job all around. Yeah. Uh, if I had to uh, about the paint scheme, to me, what I w would call this is a cross between anvils and lines of Sigmar. Okay. Okay. How do you feel about, because um, we've looked at a bunch of Relictor models at this point. How do you feel, because I was curious about this when I was painting mine, the, the shoulder pad with the skull on it, this one here, camera mm -hmm. camera right. Um, how do you like the idea of painting the shoulder pad one color and then the skull on top of it a different color? Because I just did mine all in silver and I didn't differentiate them. And I kind of I kind of like how this turned out, this gold and cream kind of color. I think this looks really good. Yeah, that's probably what I would have done if I had attempted a Night Relicter at this point. Yeah. I'm also, um, if I had to give this any criticism, I think the the mace looks a little flat. Um, whatever, because especially compared to the rest of the model, which is so, like, detailed. Maybe it's just the photo again, um, but the mace looks a little flat. Like, it looks like um, porcelain, which, you know, that's what you're trying to go for. It, that's what it looks like. Um, but I think maybe using one color lower in tone on, on the base and then that way the highlight can be, pop a little bit more because the sepia tone or at least it looks like sepia tone that looks really good but then the white and the highlight just aren't that differentiated i don't maybe it's the photo maybe it's out of focus i don't know but uh yeah if, if i had any criticisms that would be it otherwise this model is fantastic so i'm really really glad we get to talk about it <laughs> this is fantastic look he even did like the little filigree on the the hip plate he put that in gold too which i i haven't bothered doing because it seems like i'll probably just overpaint and then have to go and correct it and the way i do my armor it's a paint to correct so yeah i appreciate all the little details you put in here so we'll be reaching out to uh andreas andreas sce and we will be shipping them a box of their choice either vigilors vanquishers vindictors or annihilators so once they get it we will be sure to let you guys know i'm excited about this one <laughs> All right, live stream over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, what's up, AOS coach? How you doing, buddy? I see you in the chat. All right. 
our next topic here is we're going to talk about the updated Fire Slayer and Ideneth rules. Um, now, James, I don't know how familiar you are with these dudes, uh, but I can I think I can paint a pretty picture for you, especially anybody watching this. If you guys aren't that familiar with other armies, I don't blame you. Uh, Age of Sigmar is a very complicated game. There's lots of war scrolls. So we're going to talk about this, assuming people know nothing about these armies. I'm going to try to give you as much context as you need uh, so that you can be enraged by the changes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the Fire Slayer rules. Um, they have a new hero, and the this guy is called the Flame Keeper, as opposed to the Flame Master, which Games Workshop called him in their own article about him, which shows you how much they care. Um, he has an ability where you you put a dice next to him at the start of the game, and every time a model dies wholly within 12 inches of him, you you increment that counter up to six. And once you reach six, this is really complicated. I, but once you reach six, at the start of the combat phase, you can use one of four different abilities with him. And those abilities are to give a unit a six-up ward, to give a unit the counter charge, which is exactly what it sounds like. You, During the enemy's turn, you make a charge roll instead, which is pretty strong. Um, or you can give a unit that if it dies, it can fight before it's removed. Or you can give a unit plus one to damage with all melee weapons. So those are the four effects that you can do. And this effect does stack. So if you do have two flame keepers next to each other, then you should be able to use both, right? Um, and that's it. That's all this guy does. He has like a pretty weak melee attack. He's like five wounds on a four up save. And um, that's it. So that's a hard ability to use especially with the changes to the Auric Hearthguard. Auric Hearthguard used to be a bodyguard unit for heroes, uh, foot heroes in particular. So they would, you know, if you're trying to snipe the hero down, you could lose a couple Auric Hearthguard and then pump up a bunch of Hearthguard Berserkers, which are the melee hammer unit that they use. Um, that's harder to do now because Auric's lost their bodyguard ability for now. And uh, this guy just kind of hopes that things die around him which is really weird. Like they're fire slayers, not fire dyers, right? Like they're supposed to be killing stuff, not this whole theme of, of sacrificing themselves just doesn't quite work in the context of the second edition battle tome, right? So there would have to be pretty significant rule changes where fire slayers are hurting themselves or passing wounds off through some kind of allegiance ability. It's just a weird ability to use. Um, it's powerful, right? It's definitely a strong effect, especially if you get you know, two of it, you can get Hearthguard hearth Berserkers up to, um, you know, two attacks apiece on Ren 2, damage 4. That's crazy for a squad of 15 dudes to swing like that, right? So it can pump your guys up harder, and it does, you know, Fire Slayers are desperate for mobility, so counter charge is good. That's a good effect. The problem with it is the unit that wants to counter charge will be the one dying and feeding this ability. <laughs> Most of the time, like it's going to be really hard to position dudes in range, um, and your opponent can probably just pick this hero off unless you have some kind of special bodyguard ability. So it's just a weird ability all around. Um, and you think, well, he's a funeral priest, as they describe him. Uh, he should be a priest. He should get the priest keyword and cast prayers. And then once in a while, you're like, oh, I've got 80 points on a list. I can throw him behind my guys. I can still get a prayer. No, he doesn't have priest so he just has this ability <laughs> it's hard not to be too negative about this um trying to see a silver lining here maybe he'll see the only way i could see him see in use is if 
for some reason you don't want to bring one of the magmic invocations but you have like 80 points left over right because i think the cheapest thing in fire slayers is 120 points other than other foot heroes so like they have these weird brackets of points so maybe like you might end up with 80 points and put him in but even then, like he's taken up room in a battle regiment because he's a sub commander. There's limited slots for these sorts of things. It's really, <sighs> it's a miss for sure, at least in my opinion. Um, yeah, it's disappointing because the model actually looks cool. I, I like him. It's really uh, weird. Um, Volkite berserkers, which are the um... one sec, my apple. One sec. I don't know why I didn't think of that sooner. I'm actually a Fire Slayers collector, so I can have that. All right, so here's uh, Volkite Berserkers. Right, you've got these guys here. Uh, they're twin axes or shield and axe. I wish I had like a stand or something to put them on. Um, so they've been split into two War Scrolls. Previously, they were just one War Scroll with uh, different special rules, depending on what loadout you gave them. Uh, the shields have this cool ability where if you charge into combat, you get to throw the shields, one dice for each model in the unit, and on a six, you deal a mortal wound. And they still have that ability, which is really cool. Um, and what's really cool about that ability in particular is that it uh, it doesn't have to target the unit you charged. It can target anything within eight inches of the target you charged. So if you charge a block of 30 of these guys, you just whip all their shields at some support hero standing eight inches away, and they take a bunch of mortal wounds. Like, it's hilarious. Um, so I'm glad they still have that ability. Uh, but because they're two different war scrolls, they have different points. The shield guys actually cost more than the, the dual-wielding guys, which is weird. And they have only one melee attack. Like, one attack on threes and fours. Uh, rend one if you have the pickaxe, one damage. These guys are 32 mil bases with one-inch range, so you're going to get, let's say, six or seven of them in melee if you're charging. One attack a model. It's really, really weird. Um, I, I think... Like, they're in the running for, like, one of the worst units in the game now. That's just so bad. Especially because they increased their point cost. Like, they weren't... That wasn't the go-to unit that people were using before. It, it's really bizarre. The dual-wielding guys are pretty much the same as they used to be. Except instead of re-rolling hits, which is a useful ability, they just get plus one to hit rolls now, which is not that useful. So... Yeah, that, that seems like a miss. Um, without the context of the, the battle tome and it seems just a weird, weird choice for them to do that. The hero reminds me of Knight Arcanum and Knight Relictor. Start off with a really cool idea, neat model, but not quite there yet on the rules. Yeah, Chase, I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, the rule seems very thematically appropriate because what these what this Flamekeeper is supposed to do is like pick up the pieces of the fallen warriors and and like use that to innervate the rest of their dudes. Because Fire Slayers, their foundational myth is that they have um, their god died killing Volcatrix, which is like the, the mother of all salamanders. And like their death, they died together and that merged them or something. And then they broke apart into a million pieces. And now they have like all these little runes that you see that they're pieces of Grimnir that have been merged with Volcatrix or something. So like thematically, it's a win, right? It, it merges the idea 
of of Grimnir and Volcatrix killing each other and empowering from that. But it just doesn't translate well into rules um, currently. I think it's a little weird, uh, but maybe these are just temporary rules, right? Like maybe they're like, what are the odds of that? You think, James? Because we got Dominion, and they didn't change anything from Dominion until third edition. Just points increased a little bit here and there. So I get the feeling these are the actual rules that we're going to get in the Battle Tome. Um, yeah, more than likely, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, going over a couple other quick changes here. Um, the Auric Hearthguard, like I said, they lost their Bodyguard ability. Uh, it was one of the weirder bodyguard abilities because it counted as a ward where most bodyguards don't. Uh, but they also had a really cool ability where they got plus one damage against monsters. They just don't have that anymore. Really weird. I hope they make up for it somewhere in the battle tome because they were actually looking really good in, in you know, Monster Hammer. They were a solid pick. You could tunnel them into play and shoot down a bunch of monsters. It was pretty good. They also had this ability where if you if you hit a unit, uh, it would have its movement halved. Now they still have that ability, but it only activates on hit rolls of six, and each hit roll of six reduces movement by one inch, up to a maximum of half. So it's strictly worse than it used to be, which is really disappointing. And Hearthguard Berserkers, the super killy melee hammer, they're pretty much the same. They're still going to be really punchy, uh, but they have a, their ward ability is now wholly within nine inches. So the Fire Slayer rules are really, really disappointing. Uh, I was really excited about getting updated rules for them, and now I hope they just don't release any... I'm really worried about Seraphon getting an update now. <laughs> like They're going <laughs> to obliterate that army. And I wonder if this is a scenario where they're... Like, Slanesh had a really powerful 2nd edition Battle Tome, and the 3rd edition Battle Tome is like, ah, it's a big stinker, right? Nobody really likes it. Um and I'm wondering if Fire Slayers are going through the same thing, because their second edition book was phenomenal, but their third edition one is not off to a good start, to put it simply. And then looking over the Idaneth rules, uh, they also have a new hero, the Thrallmaster. He has an aura that activates at the start of the combat phase, which gives a, a, a Namardi, that's a keyword unit, uh, which is the Reavers and the Thralls, I believe, not not an Idaneth expert, so it might be another unit in there. Uh, but they get to pick one of three effects. Either they can reroll hit rolls of one, they get exploding hit rolls of six, or they have minus one to wound rolls. So obviously this is elf favoritism in action. Games Workshop always does this. They they take all this time to set the game up in a certain way, and they're like, hey, elves, do the opposite. <laughs> like they remove hit rolls everywhere and then give them to the elves. Uh, wound rolls being reduced by one. That was too powerful for Stormcast Dragons. We got to give it to the elves, though. What can you do? Now, the cool thing about this ability is that it actually stacks. If you have three of these guys, you get all three auras. I don't think that's worth it, but that is cool. Especially now because Thralls, uh, James, I don't know. If, have you played against Ideneth before? No, I don't know any IDK players in the area. Mm. Jordan from Season of War plays them. I don't know if he's been playing them lately, but uh, maybe we can have you guys set up a game and he can teach you firsthand just what Ideneth do. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Thralls were, were one of these units that had uh, 32 mil bases and 1 inch reach, so they were pretty much unplayable. Uh, but now they have 2 inch reach, and they're amazing. Just like that. That's that's all a unit needs. Like, if Fulkite Berserkers had 2 inch reach, totally different game. Chase thinks the Thrallmaster will be FAQ'd where you can only bring 1 or their auras don't stack. 
maybe. Uh, depending on how many points he costs, he might not even be an issue, right? Like, a lot of stuff that stacks in this game would be fine if it didn't stack, but depending on the points, it's not necessarily broken if it does stack. So we'll see about that. Yeah. One. If you want to pay for it, then you can use it type thing. Yeah. And none of these effects are like overwhelmingly good, right? Rerolling hit ones and exploding hit six in terms of offensive potential is a, each one of those is about as good as getting plus one hit, right? So you could be on twos, rerolling ones with exploding sixes, it's not even that broken because uh, thralls are super, they're paper thin, right? They have uh, poor defenses, poor bravery. They they die in droves and run away even even faster. So if if these were a really durable unit, I could see it being a problem. But no, you just you can just kill them first. It's not the big deal. Um, the Idaneth sharks got more expensive. I always found sharks weird that they were this like hundred point unit. It's like a surprisingly big model, and the fact that you get one of them for like 100-something points was weird. Uh, but now they're more expensive. Their shooting is bigger. It, it's D3 damage instead of one, and it's really, really good now. Like, four shots on uh, threes and threes rend one D3. With all the auras that Idenf have, that's really good shooting. It's comparable to, like, Judicators. That's how good their shooting is now. So I think Shark Spam is, is going to be a thing. Because any army with fast, efficient shooting is just good in this game. That's how it always is. Uh, there are also 10 wounds now, which means they don't get cover, which matters because Idaneth have a cover mechanic, so they just don't get that anymore. And they can get a unit champion if you bring him and reinforce units. Which is cool, I guess. It's kind of weird that they can't issue commands to themselves on their own. They have to bring a, a reinforced unit to issue a command to themselves. I think that's weird, but what can you do? Uh, Reavers were like, they're just ranged thralls, and they've standardized them. They're two shots on threes and threes, rend one, one damage. 170 points for, for 10 models, very standard in this game. I think they're very efficient. Um, they're not bad by any means, but yeah, I don't think, I don't see them competing with, uh, you know, Daughters of Cain or Stormcast or Lumineth shooting. Like, I don't see them being the unit that you you bring so many of and you shoot your opponent down. I think the sharks are, are going to be the way to go for that, for sure. Yeah. So Idaneth again is a... Idaneth is a mixed bag, because Thralls are playable now, and they got a great new hero that makes them even better. Um, sharks are better overall, I'd say. Uh, Reavers... Reavers used to have two different shooting attacks. So they had one that was 9-inch range and 3 shots, and then they had another one that was longer range but 1 shot, so you were really encouraged to get within 9 inches, which in the previous edition uh, made them kind of junk, right? Because if you're within 9 inches, you're just going to die, and uh, there wasn't really a way to deliver them within 9 inches before they would have a chance to get hit. But now, Unleash Hell, that 3 shots was really, really good at absorbing charges, is my understanding. I'm not I'm not 9-inch player, like I said, so... Yeah, uh, mixed bag for Idaneth. Overall, an improvement, I would say. Definitely not like Fire Slayers, uh, unfortunately. I'm a little bit salty about the Fire Slayers. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't tell. Um, overall, it seems consistent with their their des the, uh, design philosophy in, in 3rd edition. Um, simplifying War Scrolls, getting rid of extra abilities let's say having heroes with just one ability seems to be an acceptable design space for them um even if the ability is bad right like knight relictor and flamekeeper kind of on the same space they have a really situational ability and 
Uh, Lisa Knight Relictor has the priest keyword. Can't say that for Flamekeeper. So that'll, okay, well, what do you guys think? Chat, let us know what you guys think. Fire Slayers, yeah, nah. What do you guys think about that? And Ideneth, if there's any Ideneth players in the chat, let us know what you think and we'll uh, we'll have a discussion about that. And that brings us into the state of the game. So James, you played a little bit of second edition. So you had some context of what's going on. And uh, third edition did a lot of things right. I think we can agree on that, um, especially compared to yeah. second edition. The game feels better to play, right? Second edition. It feel, oh, go ahead. What I was going to say, just to prime this, is that third edition to me versus what I remember in my second edition games is that third edition feels a, little, a lot more strategic. You got to think out your uh the uh your turns a bit more and um it's more reactive at the end of the day like you're not sitting around doing nothing while your opponent rails you on the their turn mm -hmm. yeah it's it's got reactive gameplay and i really really like that um because going into third edition i think they were in a position where they had to pick either we drop this concept of rolling off for turns or we mitigate them and i think that decision kind of drove the design of the whole game, right? Um, it's like when they started second edition, the game wasn't very lethal, to give you some context. Um, stuff would usually play out to three rounds, sometimes four, and then by the end of second edition, things had gotten so lethal that everything was just dying at the, at the bottom of round one. You knew who was going to win based on who won the roll-off. Most games were like that. It was um, disappointing. There was a lot of strategy and tactics that went into it, and it was there was an element of it that was really satisfying. But just because everything was so lethal, uh, and because everything was pretty fast, like every army has some way to deep strike charge or, or something like that, um, that's where we were at the end of second edition. So start of third edition, what I saw them doing was moving to mitigating double turns with things like all-out defense, finest hour, um, going into more opportunity costs for things like battalions and command abilities, which is good. I think all of these are good changes. Um, but the best thing they did was just making the gameplay more reactive because the biggest complaint with Age of Sigmar was, and this happens in 40k, I think too, you don't do anything while your opponent kills your models. You can go like half an hour and all you do is make save rolls and remove your models. And that, that just feels awful, right? That's just not a very fun game to play. Like if you, imagine if you were playing chess and your opponent had half an hour to, to move all their pieces around and you just have to sit there and watch them do it. The fact that like there's there's a certain amount of engagement that a game needs, right? And and I think third edition nails this point. The increased reactive gameplay is fantastic. It also helps deal with double turns, which is good, right? Because if you can bank up a bunch of command points, if you're going second, you're not um, that you're not as threatened as you were before because you can activate their finest hour, you can activate all the defense, you can keep your buffs rolling, Mystic Shields a lot stronger. Um, so these all feel really really good. I really like these things. I like that you're doing things on your opponent's turn. I like that you're doing rallies and redeploys and all this stuff. It keeps you engaged. You know, there is a downside there. You don't get to like go have a beer while your opponent figures out their turn at a, at a tournament. So that's that's kind of a bummer. But otherwise, the game feels a lot better because of that. The battle plans are also great. The second edition battle plans were great. 
third edition battle plans are also great. They've been consistently good. That's always been one of the hallmarks of Age of Sigmar as a as a tournament game or, or just a game in general is that the battle plans have always been good. Um, except tooth and nail. <laughs> I think that concept, they keep trying to make it work and it's like, it's like fetch. It's not going to work. Stop trying to make, make fetch work. Okay. Um, but otherwise the battle plans are great. They give you enough story reason to do things. Um, it's not just, you know, roll dice at each other and fight in the middle of the board. There's, there's lots of variety in the battle plans and I really, really like them. And I think the the fact that we're doing seasonal realm rules, like this extra spice on top of the realm battle plans, like, oh, Gur, it's going to eat your objectives. You know, maybe the next realm we play in is going to limit shooting in some way. Um, this one encourages monsters. Maybe the next one won't. Maybe the next one will encourage wizards or um, heavy armored units or light armored units, right? Maybe we go into the the realm of metal and anything with a, a four up or better save is, has their movement reduced or something. I don't know. So there's lots of the realm of shadows as we have the stealth meta. Yeah, yeah. Maybe in the realm of shadows, you can't uh, shoot past twenty inches or something, right? Really put a cap on on this high powered shooter that we're dealing with right now. And I like that. I really like that. And I think a year is the right amount of time for that sort of thing, because you you don't want people to get like whiplash with the rules. Like, oh, I took three months off, and now we're playing in a new realm. Like. It, that's just awful. You don't want people to deal with that. You want to make sure the game is accessible to get into, and it's accessible to get back into. You don't want to leave too much space for people to just completely fall behind and just feel like they're they're never going to keep up. It also, I think, is the right amount of time for for list making. Like if you're if you're making value judgments on things, like right now we think Stormdrake Guard are really really good. We think Toralons are good. We think all these different monsters are good in the game, and it feels good to be able to say that something is good does that make sense like it's really weird if every conversation you have about the game would be like oh this thing is good on this battle plan or this thing is good if you're in this realm but it's not good if you're in any of the other realms like if something is too situational if you can't make a proper judgment decision about whether it's good or bad there's an aspect of that that's good but in general not being able to make a decision about something Kind of sucks. Like, it's good to solve something. It, it it sucks that there's weak units and that there's strong units. That is inevitable, right? You can't not have a situation where some units end up being more valuable than others. Um, but I like that one year, and then they shake it up. Make your judgments, make your decisions, and a year from now, we're going to throw it all out, and you can start again. And I think that's fun, because part of the fun is solving the game, right? Figuring out what's good and what's bad is is a big part of it. And I like how 3rd Edition has been going with Force Multipliers. They have not been going crazy with Force Multipliers. If you look at the amount of buffs to hit rolls and wound rolls and attacks and charge and things like that, going from every 2nd Edition Battle Tome to every 3rd Edition Battle Tome we've seen so far, it's drastically reduced. The very few outliers we have are like Thunderstrike, or sorry, Thunderbolt Volley is, a, is a definitely an outlier. But that's once per game compared to in second edition, we were doing that every single turn, right? So there's a there's a concerted effort to peel back these force multipliers and make the game less lethal, especially when you combine it with the reactive gameplay. Things aren't dying as quickly as they were before. They're still dying very quickly, but not as quickly as they were before. Um, unit sizes are smaller, which makes force multipliers um, 
less impactful, right? If you're only buffing 15 guys instead of 30 guys, that's that's a big difference in terms of how much power each buff adds. Um, but it also makes those buffs feel better because you know you're limited in how many activations you can do in combat. Um, how much space you take up so each activation has to matter as much as possible so that's why things like all-out defense feel so good is because it actually is making an impact if you were using all-out defense and your unit still got wiped out anyway that would feel awful like there'd be no reason to use all-out defense and you'd be like well why does this exist so like plus one save and i'm gonna die anyway who cares so the re like the things that are causing it to feel good i think are are good game design um and monsters feel good Right? I think we can all agree, monsters feel really good to use right now. One of the big issues I had with second edition was that monsters were just a big infantry unit. Like there was no functional difference between using a Stegodon or using 10 skinks. Or, you know, in terms of points, there's going to be a difference, but like 30 skinks take up a certain amount of space, they have a certain number of wounds, they take damage and they lose damage as a result of that. Uh, Stegodons pretty much did, did the same thing. There's no functional difference just in terms of... Uh, like it always ended up being more cost effective to use the bigger units. And I think monstrous rampages have fixed that problem, right? Because you can do them defensively and you can do them offensively, it has created a space for a unit to act in a way that no other unit, unless it's another monster, can act. And I think that's brilliant. I really like using monstrous rampages. I think maybe they were a little too conservative with the ones that they've put in the game so far. And I was hoping they would have expanded that system with battle tomes. What do you think about the current rampages, James? Um, it's kind of like, uh, from what I've seen, it goes one of two ways. One, uh, you're only really using a couple of monstrous rampages ever, or two, people just forget about them altogether. Yeah, it's pretty much roar and stomp, right? Those are the, those yeah. are the main two. Like, Titanic Duel sometimes, right? Stormdrake Guard, I think it comes up the most often with them. Um, but that's that's usually a result because you can't stomp other monsters. If you could stomp a monster, I would I'd probably stomp them and then use all out attack. <laughs> like if I'm if yeah. I'm on the charge, I'd rather do that. So um, a weird thing that's gonna happen is like right now monsters feel good. How much of that do you think is because of Gur giving us bonus points and making us focus on uh, extra objectives using monsters, and how much of that is just rampages and monsters, like hero monsters in particular, using finest hour? Um, and what do you think is going to happen once we leave Gur? Because there's there's stuff like you've played against Iron Jaws with their their big cabbage and the the crazy stomp attack it does that can just wipe units out if you don't have Hunters of the Heartland. Like, is that unit balanced around the game having Hunters of the Heartland? And if we lose that battalion when we leave Gur, does the Iron Jaws Mockrush just get like insanely powerful? Does it have uh, conspiracy hammer and me thinks that what's going to happen is hunters in the heartland is just going to get a rename for whatever realm we're in. Like every single season is going to have that. Yeah. More than likely. What's up, Finn? How you doing, buddy? Everybody say hello to Finn. <laughs> I wonder if he remembers me. He hasn't seen me in a while. Oh, he definitely remembers you, buddy. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's it's gonna feel weird what, when we leave Gur. Um, well, I, I guess we'll just have to see, right? They can always increase point costs across the board. Um, hey, Ox King, how you doing, man? We were just talking about you earlier. Uh, do you think they will keep monstrous rampages in the next general's handbook and add to the rules, or scrap the current Gur rules and focus on something else? Well, I, monstrous rampages are in the core rules, aren't they? Yep. 
Yep, they're core rules. So they're not going anywhere, I don't think. You haven't paid attention to him in like an hour. Okay. Yep. Um, no, Monsters Rampages aren't going anywhere. I'm hoping they add to that system. I think it would be really, really cool. Like they sort of did. Um, like Stormcast have a couple mount traits that you do instead of doing a Rampage, uh, which is good right now because we're not in a world where, where like, because it gets around Hunters of the Heartland and, and those kinds of effects, right? Um, but later it's going to feel weird if we keep adding all these effects that do something instead of doing this. Like, are we going to start getting things that are instead of doing a heroic action? Well, like, why not just have that as a heroic action? Why develop this system if you're and then develop counters to it and then develop counters to the counters? And then I'm sure you're going to have to develop counters to the counters to the counters. And it just, it's going to get weird, right? So I'd rather see they they have this cool system use it like why are they it seems like they're scared to use monstrous rampages i think it should just be in the game right if if uh if you're going to design a unit around using stomp make it cool make it powerful uh, it's okay that stomp is a really strong ability it's okay that it can wipe out a unit because you can play around it and if it becomes too powerful you can just increase the point cost of the mock russia this isn't like an impossible problem to solve from a game design perspective. Yeah, Blood Clot Plots. Uh, Astral Templars is going to get a lot more powerful. I think uh, Morgonk's changed my opinion on that after we rotate. If if Hunters of the Heartland goes away, Astral Templars, I think, shoots up to like A tier. It's really good. It's it's definitely, depending on your meta, it could be as good as running Howl of Knights with Gardas. It's just that strong of an effect. Um, especially if we see new monstrous rampages in the new general's handbook which i think would be really cool um speaking of which the general's handbook is a great book like physically as a book it's fantastic right it's got that great binding all like the rules are in the back it's got this great index page um, it even tells you like these are the books that are legal for age of sigmar like hard list you don't have to go bury like looking through all these buried documents on their website it's easy to use the general's handbook to play a game and i really like that and I think that definitely deserves a, a, a shout out because not a lot of games do that very well. Um, and I don't think Age of Sigmar will do that well forever. I think we're, we're going to get more campaign books that's going to split the rules across multiple. Like there's going to be some campaign book that's going to have optional rules for Stormcast and Cities of Sigmar. And then later there's going to be some other campaign book that does it again. And then we'll have Thunderstrike Wave 2. And it's just going to keep splitting the rules all across all this stuff, which is really unfortunate. So for the time being... I just want to give a shout out to the current general's handbook, which is a fantastic product. Yeah. Um, there's two local game stores in our area, I'd say for Paul and I, uh, the one that's closer to me uh, is primarily a 40 K space. And I help teach the new players there. Um, uh, Age of Sigmar. Um, and the one thing I always recommend to them is if they can get their hands on it, just get that general's handbook out of the, out the gate. Like it's going to be your best resource, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It kind of, it makes me feel dumb for getting the core rules, but I, I got them in dominion. So I don't feel that bad because I had all the models on yeah. there anyway. Um, but yeah, kind of invalidates the core rules, which is fine. Right. Like if I'd rather have one book that has all the rules that I need rather than having like a bunch of them, right. One book is yeah. all I want. Battle tome, one book. That's it. That's the limit for me. Ox King asks, uh, what do you think could be the next focus for the new season and how would it affect monsters? Yeah, that's kind of what we're getting through here. Uh, overall, 
if they get rid of Hunters of the Heartland, Monstrous are going to be really strong. There's not many abilities in the game that are like Hunters of the Heartland in that they ignore Monstrous Rampages, and Rampages are very strong. Like, doing D3 Mortal Wounds before combat starts is a great ability. Um, shutting off commands on a 3+, is an even stronger build. Roar is, Roar is without a doubt the best uh, Monstrous Rampage in the game right now. And I would like to see them add more stuff, for sure. Um, Chase says, uh, Olgu, likely blocking line of sight or some kind of darkness and blind mechanic. Yeah, I think that's very likely too. Um, this, this season has focused on making monsters feel better. I think the next season should uh, focus on making shooting feel worse. <laughs> I'd just like to see what Age of Sigmar would look like if shooting wasn't uh, so prevalent. What's up, Morgan? How you doing, buddy? Hey, hey. Sorry, I had to go pick something up for my mom. Nothing serious. <laughs> oh, sorry, buddy. <laughs> no worries, dude. Welcome aboard. We hey, just, you're the uh... fourth host for the night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Finn was doing a good job without you. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we talked through the Night Relictor um, painting contest, and then we finished up wrapping up the rules for Fire Slayers and Ideneth. Um, not, I'm not too impressed with the Fire Slayer rules. Ideneth are looking a little bit better. You want to give me like... 30-second opinion on that? Uh, I think I know they're looking pretty great. Um, they're going to have... I mean, so the, the main thing they have to look forward to is upgraded stats, which is pretty cool. Um, like threes and threes across the board, maybe. Um, more Ren, which is always nice. Sharks were already pretty good. Um, I think this is a bit of a nerf to them, because at 125, they were just they were kind of impressive, especially with the Tides of Death. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know how the builds for Ideneth will go in the future, but I can. They're just a solid army with solid rules. Their legions abilities like push what would be otherwise okayish war scrolls to like greater levels. I just don't know what they do against Gargans, which has been like their main problem. Yeah, there are a lot of rend one, a whole lot yes. of rend one, and that's actually another reason why I'm thinking shark spam is going to be so good because it's one of their few fast rend two attackers. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Yeah, I just don't. I, I, I've. I guess they can do the triple Eidolon list, but I just don't see them having the raw damage. I can see them taking apart armies that rely on uh, elite troops, uh, like Stormcast. Like for instance, they'd be really good. At, like they can put up a decent fight against Stormcast. Um, I just don't know what they do against a brute force like Gargans. Yeah, how do they kill Kragnos? They're not. A yeah, like how do they? Like, what's their mortal wounds? Yeah, other than eels and their once per game viable take shock, I can't really see. Like, you need a lot sourced. of those. You need a lot of those. Yeah. Kragnos. Yeah, yeah, and they would all have to go into Kragnos, and that's assuming you know that other army doesn't do anything to you. And he's uh, probably gonna. He's probably gonna get the charge off. Uh, well, no, I'm nothing fast enough to to outrange him. I think. But, yeah, yeah, I mean they've got a lot of 14 inch movement, which is 12 inch yeah. and 14 inch movement. Well, what do you think cool. about the the fire slayer changes? That was a good face. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 um, I can't believe a faction based around Slayers doesn't fight that well. Yeah. <laughs> like, which is honestly, like, I, I would say the thing that they needed to do, and I hope there it's there because I've heard rumors about how all the Hearthguard, Auric Hearthguard, or Hearthguard Berserkers are going to be bodyguards from now on because it is a character dependent faction. So being able to protect those characters is pretty important. Uh, but I hope there's a way to buff attacks, like add one to their unit's attack profile. One attack on Volkite Berserkers, man. That's it's it's insane, unreal. man. It's yeah, it's like 
it's the berserker is literally in the name yeah which implies you would just be madly flailing your arms about trying to kill as much as possible with as many attacks you know i just i don't i don't know what to think I, man i I'm think like berserker might be like a a cultural title for them right like yeah yeah something some kind of status symbol so it's a, it's a weird um fire slayer lore is pretty pretty weird in general uh, okay, I mean, so Berserker makes sense when you think about them as slayers, you know, like yeah. from the old world or whatever. But it's it's like, come on, slayers are supposed to attack way more than this. Mm-hmm. One attack from one. Uh, I don't know. Maybe if they gave them, like, I don't, I don't know why. They don't. If they always fought when they died, would it be broken? I don't think so. With one attack, nothing's broken. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I mean. You can give them on twos like, and twos, and it still wouldn't be broken. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's like with corn, like with the blood warriors. If you just gave them that, like I don't even think that'd be broken. Oh, but... blood reavers are better than bullkite berserkers, and they're on the same size bases. That's depressing. Um... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Randall says, I'm not sure shooting is even overly prevalent. Mortal wounds from shooting is a problem, but shooting in general is expensive for most armies. Yes. We will talk in detail about that on the next slide. <laughs> I promise. It's uh, it's one of the things uh, I really want to talk about, about the state of the game. It's one of the reasons I even made this live stream today, because uh, I want to talk about that topic. Uh, but before we get into that, Mergonk, what do you think about this uh, state of the game? What are the good things? Like, are you looking at this list here? Yeah, yeah I am. It's okay. um, Yeah, I like the ability to mitigate double turns with reactive command abilities. I think all our defense, redeploy, even, even unleash hell, great changes to the game, I think. Uh, seasonal run rules definitely uh being able to switch up that command ability and switch focus from different types of armies and to different builds of different armies um that feels really good although there's a small part of me that thinks we'll never truly make it out of the hero monster meta and it's not because of the extra points it's just that hero monsters just have the best utility in the game they get hero actions they get to issue command commands or receive commands and also they have the monsters rampages and these these are like three core actions that are really really tied to the core mechanic of 3.0. Mm-hmm. And I don't see that going away just because you might not score three extra points for some battle tactics. Yeah, no, I, I you've definitely changed my mind on that because I think the first time we talked about this, I was saying, no, you know, these are the, one of the reasons they're pushing it. And but I think you're right. Now um, that's the extra victory points are nice, but after playing more third edition, like the game ends on the bottom of two. You know who's going to yeah. win based on the 2-3 turn order in 99% of the games. So the extra victory points matter if you're playing a five-round game. Like, if you're playing a list that goes slow enough that the extra points matter, like Hallow Strike really cares about that. The Torlon is really big mm-hmm. in there because you're playing a tactical game. But everything is so fast. Everything is so killy. It just feels like an extra victory point or two per turn, especially because you can even it out by killing the monster. So it's not like you're really... Yeah. Like, you have to do stuff with the monster and then not have it die so that your opponent doesn't equalize the score. Right? So it's yeah. really not that big a deal, the extra victory points. Now, the, the only way I could see it being actually shaken up is if the points bonus increased for anything. For, for, so right now, we have, like, plus one point for monster. Mm-hmm. But what if instead of plus one point, they went, if you score this with, an in, uh, I don't know, like an infantry uh, troop that is 10 or more models, you score three points extra. Hmm. Like if they if they really incentivize that point swing, then I could see us getting out of the monster meta. Yeah, but do we really want to play a game where it's that swingy on points? I like small increments. I like having a small bonus over five rounds. It feels really good. 
the, I think the mm-hmm. issue is that we're still in this like one round one round two, but we're biased, right? We're Stormcast players, so we know yeah. like we hit so hard and we hit so powerfully that we don't let them recover from that, or we just get crushed by mortal wounds and, and outpositioned, right? Like Stormcast go fast, fast wins or fast yeah. losses. You know who's going to win quickly. Mm-hmm. But so yeah, we'll have to see how how they shake it up because I mean. I don't know. Did you see that little? Uh, it's been around the internet. That little Akshi realm leak or whatever from the uh, Fire Slayers was identified. Yeah, box. those effects are crazy powerful, and that to me screams narrative. They love doing really wacky narrative stuff like that in these kind of books. Right, but it's like if the realm rules suddenly change, where let's say they're in a realm where monsters cannot issue actions or cannot have a commands issued to. Just go Does the that make a difference? Direction. That would make a yeah. difference. Um, yeah. Where it's like it actively, like, yes, monsters have the utility, but they also suffer this thing where they can't receive commands during some part of the game for some condition. It would have to be... I don't like that rule in particular because I don't like the idea mm-hmm. of creating this overarching system with command points and then, oh, these units can't use it this year. Sorry, guys. Okay. That feels wrong, but I get what you're saying in terms of, like, a really impactful ability um, that would that would do that. Yes, I like okay, I like what if what if we were in Shaish and there was a spell called the I don't know, Paul of Doom or something and reaches out to an enemy unit within 24 casting value 7. If it succeeds, that enemy cannot receive commands or issue commands until your next hero phase. That that affects hero monsters. Yeah. That's a really good ability. I think um I have my ideas on what I would do about this for, uh, mm-hmm. from, uh, from a game design perspective. Um, I don't want to get into them yet. <laughs> we'll talk about them in a bit, because I think there is a way to make to reduce the impact that monsters and monster heroes in particular are having on the game uh, without just nuking their points into oblivion and overpricing them. Because, yeah. I don't know, the amount of models on the table feels good to me right now. Changing points doesn't change the rules. It just changes the number of models on the table. And it wouldn't even change mm-hmm. the number of monsters on the table. It changes the number of everything else on the table. Right? Like if they increase yep. the cost or heroes of heroes and chaff. Yeah. If they increase the cost of mock crushes, that doesn't mean you see less mock crushes. It just means you see less uh, brutes or grunts or, or something. Yeah. 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 So they're still just as impactful. So I think the issue, the particular solution that you, you suggested earlier, I'm not the biggest fan of. But there's ways to do it, I think. Yeah. And I maybe not we'll get into it later. <laughs> yeah, I, I and the only other thing I'd say is uh yeah, the new reactive system really helps mitigate double turns, but the game is effectively won a lot of times on a double turn. And that's particularly I think the fault of battle regiment. I think yeah. that th- that play that people make, and a lot of people will do this, they will build an army that's specifically designed to say, you go first, I'll go second, and if I get the double turn, I win. Like there's 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 builds that like cater to that specific line oh, yeah. of play. Yeah, Stormcast do that. Seraphon um, do that. Um, I didn't do that in a way. I didn't do that. Yeah, because of how powerful their tides are. That on round two they yeah. can be on high tide. So yeah, that's battle regiments definitely an issue there. Maybe not battle regiments specifically, but the concept of deterministic turn order based on your drops. Yeah, I think that's the bigger problem there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Randall in chat says to fix the monster meta, just disallow monsters and core battalions. That would fix a lot of problems. There you go. That's one of my solutions, buddy. Um, the battalions right now are favoring this exact meta that it's creating, right? Like if you had battalions that um, 
didn't allow any monsters. Like, no commanders, just sub-commanders. Would that break the game? Would that make the game less fun? No, I don't think so. I think right. if we had... Anything that gets people to use more battalions that aren't battle regiment, in my opinion, is good. Mm -hmm. I agree. Like, I think, I, I think the turn order should just be a roll-off, and if you finish dropping first, you win ties. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that, I, you know, I was against that six months ago when the edition launched. I thought, no, let's see how it goes. There's opportunity costs here. Hunters of the Heartland is really powerful. Extra enhancements, the only way to get them is to give up a one-drop. Turns out that stuff just doesn't matter as much as going first or forcing your opponent to go first. When the game yeah, is this I, I, lethal, when you're playing two yes. rounds of a game and not five, choosing who goes first in half the game really matters. Really, really matters. Uh, AOS and like that's the part I hated about second edition was how powerful the double turn felt sometimes. Yeah, and it feels like because of the like you said the lethality of the game. Um, and maybe there's a way to solve this is like terrain, like have better terrain and have better terrain rules, like obscuring, things like obscuring, things that don't allow people to just either treat the field like an like it's flat and you can just shoot anywhere or allow people to just go anywhere. There should be like lanes, you know, almost like a MOBA. I think but until we get that. Yeah, impassable yeah. terrain, stuff you can't finish a move on at all. This is just negative yeah. space you can't end on. I think that would go a long way. Yeah. Um, AOS coach says hero monsters would need to be pointed more aggressively or significantly swing the scoring mechanic to shift the meta. Yeah, that would work, right? Like, that totally would work. If if Maw Crushes cost 700 points, that would shift the meta, right? If Kragnos mm -hmm. was, was 900 instead of 700, if Gargants were, if you could bring two Gargants to a game instead of four, that would really shift the meta. Mm -hmm. But is that, I don't want, like, the number of models feels good, right? From, a, from an aesthetic standpoint, from a tactical standpoint, the number of models on the table feels good right now. The, the the problem, I think, is that monsters are just too impactful in the first couple rounds. They have all of this value bundled into these powerful abilities. Some of them they can only use once per game, like Finest Hour. As a defensive ability, if, you, if half of your opponent's turns, like if you're playing two rounds, and half of them you have Finest Hour active, that's crazy. <laughs> like, it's so hard to yeah. punch through that. Um, so that's that's part of it, is that they just, they're too, too much of the game is focused around one t one or two turns of the game. So, um, yeah, that's that's the good. I have a lot of good things to say about Age of Sigmar, and we're going to spend the next 45 minutes picking it apart. But I really want people to, f to take a snapshot of this moment where I'm feeling very good about the game because reactive yeah. gameplay is just awesome. It's so good. It's so much more satisfying. Um, and I've been thinking about, you know, like dabbling in 40K a little bit with a Tau book that's coming out. And they don't have that. And I'm so bummed out by it. Like, you have stratagems, which which can do things in your opponent's turn. But mostly it's like, okay, my turn, I'm going to shoot these things, you're going to make saves, you're going to remove these models, then on your turn you do the same thing to me. Mm -hmm. And that's fun in its own way, but I really like how tactical Age of Sigmar is right now. Honestly, like the game systems can learn from each other. I wouldn't be surprised if Tempad 40k started introducing reactive command abilities. Yeah. I can see 10th edition 40k doing a lot that Age of Sigmar is doing right now. I can see them going like all our defense cover. could just be like, hey, take cover. Like, yeah, one CP for that on a unit yeah. plus one save that would help. Yeah, yeah, I think stratagems were the uh, like starting point where I got them thinking about how to do things during your turn that weren't just moving, shooting, fighting. It's like modifying how you do these things. And then Age of Sigmar 3 took that next step and said, okay, well, how do we do these things on your opponent's turn? All right, so that's the good. 
Uh, overall, if I had to give Age of Sigmar like a, a a rating out of ten, I don't know what would you guys give it out of ten. I'm thinking like a uh, if second edition, let's say second edition is a five, it's neutral, mm-hmm. it's between one and ten. Where would you rate third edition compared to that? Um, I'd say like an eight, eight point five. Okay. Like good, great even, but certainly has like some, I would say issues. Mm-hmm. James, how about you? Uh, coming from a new uh, perspective, I would say a nine out of ten for me. Hmm. Yeah, I'm up there with you guys. I was gonna say like eight, somewhere between eight and nine. It feels really mm-hmm. good. It feels like we're gonna spend a lot of time now picking apart that last like ten to fifteen percent of the game. Um, there's always there's it's never gonna be perfect. There's always gonna be problems. Yeah. Um, but I think it's fun to talk about. So. Yeah. All right, here we go. The bat. First off. It's hard to learn this game now. Trying to teach people how to play Age of Sigmar is a pain. The game is not easy to learn. There's a lot of stuff you have to throw at people all up front, right? Because it's, you can't, if you if people play without certain aspects of the game, like if you say, no, just War Scrolls, no points, uh, no command abilities, none of this stuff, just move your units, like that's a really boring game. If mm-hmm. armies like Stormcast can't deep strike, a lot of the flair is just gone. Aesthetically, it's not as interesting. Mm-hmm. So teaching people the game has never been harder, right? Like, James, you and I are going through this. I'm going to be teaching my brother how to play. Maybe we're going to be teaching Dan how to play. It's going to be a pain, dude. It's not going to be fun. Yeah. Um, quite frankly, I don't know how I picked up the third edition so well. Uh, I was struggling with second. I really was. But now third edition, I've keyed into it, and I feel like I'm confident enough with it to the point where I was with D&D back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's third edition um, feels good when you're in it, but getting into it is really hard and it's only going to get more complicated, right? As the, as this edition goes on, we're going to see more campaign books. We're going to see more uh, wacky rules in the general's handbook. The battle tomes are going to get more evolved, like, and that's a good thing, right? Um, but it definitely has this dragging effect that it's going to make the game harder and harder and harder for people to get into which is mm-hmm. not a good thing for a game to have. Uh, it's not good for a community-based game, especially, right? AOS Coach says, I will say I think your ratings are skewed positively because you play a powerful faction. Would Beasts of Chaos, Gloomspite, etc. feel the same? That's a fair so, point. What I'll say to that is I agree that we are, we're biased in the fact that we just got a new shiny uh, rulebook, but... Even when we were in that transition period from third edition to second edition, um, or from second to third, uh, the SCE rules were not good, and I still enjoy third edition a lot. Yeah, I'd say the same. I'd say the the the, the it was like the reactivity of the game, the different kinds of scoring, the battle tactics, the different options available the sort of standardizing of core battalions over the faction haves and have-nots. I think that was a huge positive for me, despite the fact that Stormcast was always my main faction, and they weren't that hot at the beginning. Yeah. Um, even with that little uh, emergency FAQ that like changed up a bunch of our war scrolls and stats or whatever. Uh, that, that was a fun couple of weeks where you could take Stormwing three times on one Drake Sworn Templar. <laughs> <laughs> or or teleport uh, move after teleport. That was what I was experimenting yeah. with. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like I understand the pain that the kids and BOC are going through. I think that comes from their book just being fundamentally weak and not, 
There's, I guess, like, that well thought out. There's also a lot of growing pains with these armies uh, going into a new edition. Obviously, it was designed with Stormcast and probably Iron Jaws and Cruel Boys in mind. Maybe not so War Clans. I would say War Clans, other than Bone Splitters, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, like, the rules were obviously designed with them in mind, right? So once you start getting armies that deviate from that, like 60 gob goblins in a unit is going to feel very different than five liberators. It's going to take up more space. It's going to have different, like the cohesion rules, the reinforcement rules, all of these things impact other armies a lot more than they impact Stormcast and, and Iron Jaws. And, I'll uh, say Skaven too. Like what, what is fundamentally yeah. supposed to be a Horde army, like now there's limited to four reinforcement points. So Yeah, the reinforcement point thing is... Like, I get it. I didn't enjoy playing against three bricks of 30 witches as the like the standard go-to list for, for Daughters of Cain. Um, but there's other ways to solve that. I don't know if reinforcement points need to stick around forever, right? Because you could just I just think some armies tests. need to get their books, and the books will have more of it. Like, if you're Skaven, you just have six reinforcement points instead of four. Yeah, like set I can see that. Yeah. A lot of... Uh, they should have put out index books. I think that was a big miss with, with third edition, is that... They kind of hoped that they didn't deviate too much from second edition, um, and they just accepted that it wouldn't be balanced until they were pretty much done with the edition and every army's been updated. But mm -hmm. especially with these unforeseen circumstances, because they wrote this stuff years ago, right? This stuff would have probably been written 2019, if I had to guess. Mm -hmm. like it would have been finalized 2019 and sent off to shipping and whatnot, localization and, and proofs and things like that. So they they didn't have any idea what was going to happen to the world so i don't blame them for that even though i do have a thing at the bottom there about a botched release schedule i'm not blaming them it just it sucks right and uh it's just they got to do better like if they released indexes that updated every army as pdfs for free online most of the problems we would be seeing in the game would go away and these white dwarf supplements are not doing that i think maybe they thought they would do that they're not because nobody cares about grand strategies and the battle tactics that we're getting the minor minor buffs that armies are receiving in these white dwarf updates are not the fix that is needed oh yeah they're i mean they're stopgap measures but yeah like well Ossiar bone reapers in my opinion fundamentally as an army are kind of broken like Whatever their RDP thing is, it's, it's not. It's just adjacent to command abilities, but it, it doesn't feel that like tactical anymore. Mm -hmm. um, where like the entire point of that army was like, I'm more tactical than you because I have way more decisions to make with all my points. But now it's like it's very limiting, and it's like, oh, yeah. I only get to make like these adjacent decisions to you yeah, as they, opposed to. They went from the army with the let's say a lot of tactical depth. Tactical depth. I don't want to say the most, but a lot. Mm -hmm. to one that has less than the average army because they can't use the generic stuff. They have to use yeah. only the stuff that's in their book, um, which that just sucks right now. Like that feels really awful because yeah. all these things are really cool. We talk, we just spent all this time talking about how cool all out attack and all defense and rally and redeploy and all these things are. Um, but this army just can't use it. So yeah, they, they definitely should have released indexes. Um, they released them for eighth edition 40 K. They released them for second edition AOS. No, no, they didn't. Um, at the release of AOS, they they released all these like Grand Alliance books. That's what I'm thinking of. And they updated the rules from their initial AOS like beta into 1.0, right? And they weren't mm -hmm. good, but it was better than just not having rules for this stuff. It was actually meant for the edition, and it felt better than it could have, right? 
and I don't know how much it would have cost them in terms of uh, time and investment of, I don't know how much benefit there is to that sort of thing. Like it doesn't look good on the bottom line to spend hundreds of hours putting together documents that are just going to be out of date within six months. Right. But I think that's the kind of thing this game needs, right? The game needs more attention than what it's currently getting. And these are the little things that would have gone a long way. Um, so yeah, the game's hard to learn. Uh, we'll talk about what we can do about that, but it, it's, it's, uh, difficult to teach it to people, especially because there's, there's so many different systems stacked on top of each other and you can pick them apart, right? Like you don't have to play with command points. You don't have to play with allegiance abilities. You don't have to play with terrain rules. You don't have to play with battalions. You don't have to play with enhancements. There's all these things you can take away from the game to simplify it. But it's, it, when you start doing that, you stop, you lose the texture of the game, right? Like the game is fun mm -hmm. because it has all of these things and all the complications stacked on top of it. But at the same time, trying to introduce somebody to all of that is really, really difficult because it's like, it's just a lot up front, you know? Yeah. Uh, Ox King says, do you have any advice on the best way to teach AOS to someone new? Would you ignore some rules to start out? And what do you think is essential for core gameplay? Yeah, I, I uh, think that's what you do, man. You just got to cut out some of the rules. It's too much for people. So when I was um, at the one local game store there, like I said, I usually end up uh, showing a lot of people how to play the game. Um, they do have some knowledge coming in from 40k, so there is a little bit of spillover there. But uh, the best battle plan I find to do that is the first one where you're not scoring points. It's just control three objectives by or control all objectives by uh, earliest end of round three or four uh, to win the game. Because that way you're just not bogged down on focusing on scoring points. It's more so just advancing up the table and controlling objectives. Yeah. Like, tactically, it's not very satisfying to play a game where two players move into the middle of the board and just punch each other to death. But if you don't know anything about this game and you can't appreciate anything from a tactical perspective, let's say, I don't want to, I'm sounding pretentious, I don't want to, but you guys know what I mean, right? Like if you're learning the game, that's already cool enough that your dudes are moving yeah. up and fighting each other. That's cool. You have these cool miniatures, they have abilities, they're doing stuff. That's enough, right? And as they learn more, they will want to get more mechanics involved. They'll just want that because the simplicity of just moving forward and punching each other wears off the excitement of that wears off and you'll want more mm -hmm. the one thing i do uh as a kind of snake in the grass on uh that battle plan admittedly for my opponents is to have them move off of one of their objectives and i'll go bottom around bottom around three to burn an objective and none of those are prime objectives so i can burn any objective on the field so i just burn an objective that there's a dog pile on that they've wasted effort in trying to control and once they walk off their home objective, I will translocate onto the, uh, that objective and just take the game at that point. I'm just like, okay, so just to let you know now, there's more going on than just starting a dogpile in this game. So when we play next, I want you to sort of think of what you could have done differently on this uh, uh, map or this game and learn your rules a little bit better next time. See, generally I would... You were an exception, but generally I would let people win their first game because it makes them feel good and it makes them want to play again, right? Because that's the point of a game. It's not to it's not to win or even to to you know lose or whatever. The point of the game is to want somebody to play the game with you again later. That's the ultimate goal of any game. Because if you're not playing again, then who cares? The, oh, you won, good job, but you're not playing with me again. So yeah, right? ultimately everybody loses. Um, but I think in this case, showing off that kind of 
sneakiness gives people an idea of like, oh, this isn't just punching each other in the middle of the board. There, I have to play objectives. I may have even won the fight in the middle of the board. I may have killed every single model except for the ones that started mm. my objectives and won the game. So yeah, I think in that it makes it, case, it yeah. It makes it feel silly when the dog runs away to an objective to control it, and the priest just says, I'm out of this battle. And that's it. Yeah, that's how I win. My dog ran that way, and now I'm <laughs> the winner. Thank you very much. I'll take my trophy and go. <laughs> uh, okay, so the game's hard to learn. Another thing uh, that I have to critique the game about right now is that I really like Monstrous Rampages. It makes monsters feel really good to use. They're not just a block of infantry with a single base. Uh, heroes don't have that same feeling, right? Aside from, from just generating a command point on a four-up, which is pretty boring, uh, or using Finest Hour, it feels like the heroic actions are kind of a miss, right? I, they're not exciting. Uh, a naked unbind, a naked dispel, these things are questionable value. It's really just Finest Hour that everybody uses or generating command points. What do you guys think about heroic actions right now? Yeah, I agree. Um, the, the, honestly, the, if, the thing is, the armies that really cast in this game cast their stuff so well that getting that extra unbind just feels like useless a lot of times. Like, you'd much rather have a command point. It's like, if I'm facing Zinch or Teclas or Marathi, would I ever really attempt to unbind that and have a chance, or would I just have a CP and use it for all defense or yeah. something? It's such a weak ability. That's the issue with that one in particular. Yeah. If that one was, you can unbind any number of times. For this, this hero yeah. phase, you have infinite unbinds with that hero. Yeah, he's just like sitting there concentrating and just yeah. keeps unbinding spells. Yeah. yeah. Now, but I feel like that'd be way strong on like the unbinders, or like the casters are already good. I'll agree with AOS coach. Heroic Recovery needed to change. I agree. I really liked Heroic Recovery. It was actually my favorite one at the start of the edition because you had these slugfests before people figured out just how to make the game way more lethal, um, especially before Stormcast got their battle tome and got a power upgrade with Ren 2 everywhere. Uh, Heroic Recovery mm -hmm. was, it felt good to use. Um, it didn't feel good to have it used against you because you get a hero down to you know one or two wounds remaining and all of a sudden they just start healing themselves up and you're like, eh. Got to get through that four-up ward or the two-up save, and it's it feels, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, her, heroic Recovery, yeah, it's just Finest Hour and, and Command Points these days. So I think Heroic Actions are kind of a miss. Even when you're using Finest Hour, it doesn't it doesn't really feel good to use. It feels like, ah, it's like a thing you got to do. And if you don't do it right, you get punished for it. It doesn't feel good to use. It feels bad if you don't use it properly. Does that make sense? I'd I'd say it's like uh, it it matters against like chip damage. Like before, like what really sucked was like against like comets or some unit just that's just like chipping your hero down with mortal wounds. It was on a clock, and being able to sort of negate that feels good. Um, and it's I think it's ultimately heroic recovery is great for like those clutch moments where like you win a battle with like a hero and some units, but that hero is really low and you need them to be alive. And that's when heroic recovery really comes into play. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know why they tied it to bravery. Cause yeah, that one's weird too. It, it seems like well, they wanted like, to make bravery matter and that does make bravery matter, but not in a way that feels good. It's kind of like you're just punished for being a seven or eight bravery hero instead of- Yeah, that's what I mean. Like all the heroes that are fighty 
are low bravery. They're usually like seven, eight, six, you know, seven, seven or eight usually, like with Iron Jaws or like Stormcast, like or eight or nine. But like Death and uh, I want to say uh, Chaos or whatever demons, demon heroes, they're all ten. So they're all, almost always going to get it off, plus whatever other healing they have in that army. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I don't know why they tied it to bravery. I guess they have to tie it to like some dice roll. Did they? But just heal D three. No, is just heal D three. Yeah, yeah. Who cares? Just heal D3. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Slowing the game just down. Just heal D three. Yeah, that's true. My, just, yeah, just heal D three. My issue with heroic, and like we say that because we're we're using bravery nine and ten heroes, but like I don't care if Beast of Chaos heal D three. That wouldn't break the game. Like just no. Yeah. Um, my issue is heroic abilities don't feel heroic. Monstrous rampages feel like oh, it's a big stompy monster. He stomped on me, or he roared at me, or he broke terrain, or he's having a duel with another monster. All of these things feel monstrous, and the gameplay it it, it feels different. Heroes don't feel heroic, right? Like finest hour feels more like a monstrous berserk kind of thing than it does like I'm being blessed by my god and i'm gonna smite evil like it doesn't doesn't i don't quite get that right um Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel heroic in a way uh i and it's hard to think of abilities that could do that right like what do heroes do and i and i think like 40k heroic intervention that feels proper getting in the way of combat Mm -hmm. being a leader among your troops um 40k has heroes can't be shot just period. If you're behind stuff, right? That's not. I think if you're yeah, if you're right. certain wounds or something. Yeah. And yeah. that feels like a commander blending in with their troops, letting the others take the hits. Age of Sigmar doesn't have this, and I would like it to. I want heroes to feel different, especially fighty combat foot heroes. There's so there's so many of them, and they're so bad, <laughs> and they shouldn't be. And out. No, and and I think it's bad for that activation reason you mentioned. Because you never want to activate those because an activation is like playing a card in magic. You want you want it to like do something. You want it to either remove one of your opponent's cards or like give you a, a great advantage. So it's best to activate like a giant force multiplier. Not, you know, mm-hmm. like you don't want to activate like power two and power three. You want to activate power five if you can. And I think that ability they're giving out to like armies, more specifically, I think Soulblight and Ossiarch have it now, where like the hero fights alongside their troops like right after. I think that's really good. I, th- I think that should have been like a Stormcast ability. It it really feels good. I wouldn't mind if every hero in the game did that. If that was a heroic action, that would feel really yeah. good to do, right? Yeah. It would feel like you're fighting alongside your frontline troops. Because it, it's like, I, I don't ever want my Lord Castellan in combat unless it's like down to the wire and it's like round four or round five. Yeah, you're desperate. And the reason yeah. is because, yeah, he, he'll just he's just going to die. So I'm essentially paying for a really fighty hero 155 points he's on a three up save and he's got four or five attacks that do two damage or something but i don't ever want to fight with him like i'm paying for something i'm not going to really want to use so mm-hmm. yeah so that's i would say that's a miss i think heroic abilities um need something else they need they need a rework yeah um another problem i have i rant about this one on the discord all the time so sorry uh ability rules are inconsistent and unclear, right? What is an aura? What is a pulse, as we call it? You know, pulse like a Torah line. Is that an aura or a pulse? We don't know. Does it last if you move out of it? We don't know. And I'm getting annoyed that there are so many of these abilities in the game constantly. Every book adds new ones. And it feels like they should just 
classify them like they did in 40k. If it's an aura, slap the aura keyword on it, right? Why are we afraid of using this system? We already have things like this. Flying exists, right? Units say mm -hmm. flying. The War Scroll doesn't define what flying does. Oh, the core rules tell me what it does. Like, I get that Warhammer Fantasy had a billion of these these rules, and that sucked. And I remember trying to get into Warhammer Fantasy and looking through um, whatever they were called, codexes. I don't know what they were called back then, just army books. Looking through it, mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, poisoned and ward and, and some kind of other keyword. I have no idea what any of these do. And I didn't mm -hmm. know how to uh, how to approach even starting how to learn the game. And then you look at the core book, and it was like that thick. And you're like, oh, I got to read that to figure out what this other unit in this book does. Like, I don't want to get back to that point, right? I don't want to get back to that point. But if they're going to keep writing special rules that are ambiguous, inconsistent, and unclear, we need something. And 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 this is way easier than putting out an FAQ for every single ability in the game, right? It's just, it would be so much easier if they just classified things as auras. Um, yeah. sim similarly, like remember that debacle a few months ago about bodyguards and wards and not wards? Yeah. <laughs> they got a, like they classified wards. Great. Classify bodyguards. It wouldn't be hard, you know? Bodyguard yeah. three up. Okay. Like it would be so it would just be great to know what is and isn't a bodyguard ability. Like it, it yeah, I hate. I don't like having that argument. It feels like yeah, it feels really. The strange. arguments are awful. I want to play the game, not argue about the rules. I'll do that on Discord. Yeah. I'll argue about rules all day <laughs> over there, man. <laughs> you know, it's it's Saturday. I yeah. want to roll dice, not argue with you about how we should roll the dice. Um, it's rough, and it's one of the biggest pain points I have with third edition. And I guess it's a it's a holdover from second edition, right? Because they never really clarified any of this stuff in second edition. And they should. They really should. Mm -hmm. I think it's too late now, though. They're not going to suddenly change the way they do it. I think we're stuck with this for all of third edition. Unfortunately. Yeah, they'll just it'll just be FAQs. That's all. Yeah. We'll just like know what we can and can't do because they say say it basically. Yeah. Which is a bummer. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think a lot of people are going to resonate with this one. This is to me, this is not the biggest deal. And, and, you know, I, I play a bunch of different factions, so maybe I'm trying not to be biased about this. I'm sure a lot of people are going to have this point as their biggest problem with the game right now. But the factions are wildly imbalanced, right? You have your, like, 60% win rate armies, and then your 35% win rate armies. And I know the stats aren't everything. There's more to it than that. Um, but if you're getting into the game, and you're like our friend Dan, who who wants to get into Skaven, and we told him... You know, man, maybe don't. <laughs> like, I just got to be honest with you about this, buddy. They have really old models. A lot of them are from, like, the 90s with resin, which mm -hmm. is a bad material. And they're not looking too hot in good games right now. Like, I it, I have to be honest and tell people this. And I hate having to tell people that. I don't, but on the other hand, I don't want them to pick up an army, get frustrated with, with models from 30 years ago, and have a weak force. Like, I want them to feel good about spending their time and money on this hobby and yeah I, I think and i think i mean other than the exception of some books like visa chaos and like gits i'm generally liking the design of these new books like i saw the Nurgle book it, it felt good like the, the newer books they feel like they're toning a lot of this the the this wild like swing and power down um and i guess we'll see more confirmation of that if that is indeed their intent in the fire slayers and in the deepkin books 
my main issue is like this have and nots is really exacerbated by factions like gargans which i see on the slide mm-hmm. well gargans are There's a like case. like a very unique case mm-hmm. because they are because it's like they just win the game regardless of whatever it is you're trying to do. Yeah. It's like yeah, Nurgle. Yeah. It's like Nurgle's mechanic is really cool. It's like the longer you're engaged with Nurgle, the more they're gonna punish you. And they have a five award across the army. It's really tough. But if they're trying to play the long game, like attritionally win by like round four, round five, what are they doing against Gargans that are just holding the objectives the entire time? Yeah. <laughs> Gargans are a really bad army to have as a gatekeeper army in the game. There's going to be gatekeepers in every every game, yeah. right? But Gargans are just a pile of stats. And if you didn't bring an optimized list, you're not going to kill them, period. You're just not. If you bring a bunch of Vanguard Hunters, Paladors, um, a bunch of Ren 1 stuff, you're going to have a really tough time killing four Gargans. And you can't push them off objectives. You cannot push them off objectives. Because they're pushing the objectives already, right? So, yeah. Um, and that's, if Gargans only counted as 10 models, most of the problems people have with that army would go away. Because you don't have to kill them in that case. You can just pile models on top of it yourself. Yeah. But because they Almost makes you wish for like a monstrous rampage that was like, yeah. pick a model, and that model does not count for the purposes of contesting objectives. God, sure. that'd be so strong. Or, or a heroic action that makes a hero count as 35 models. <laughs> right? So. Yeah. Like, that ability was yeah. obviously designed in the second edition mind frame where people had 90 witch elves on a, on a table and that was like, oh, 30 models, I might be able to compete with those witch elves now, right? But now it's like, who's running 60, 90 witch elves, right? You can't run 90. Yeah. I think the points you just... Well, even then, like, attrition matter. Like, like we, we just talked about this on our Discord. Stormkeeps is a great mechanic. Like, I love that little objective play where it's like, yeah, you can cause me some attrition, but the longer we play, I will count as more models, and I, I will just desperately have this like fight to the last stand, to the last liberator, where they're counting as three models each, and that that feels good. Like as a mechanic, like it yeah. feels good. It's it feels like attrition matters because the more liberators I lose, I effectively lose six models each. With gargans, it's like okay, I haven't killed them; they're on two wounds by round four. I guess I'm gonna lose this yeah. game. No, I've done thirty wounds. I've I've shot this guy multiple times. And he still counts 35 models or whatever number. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't feel right. Um, That's just, that's something they could fix in an errata. Like that problem's gone. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's annoying that they haven't yet. Um, Other armies are just like ridiculously good at what they do. They have all of the options that they need to be successful and they don't have any downsides, right? Like Stormcast are a very versatile army, um, but we have very few units. I, I don't mm. want to say Stormcast are like weak or anything. We're a strong army, uh, but compared to something like Seraphon um, and, and Lumineth and Daughters of Cain, who are other armies that have a lot of options tactically, they have uh, infantry, cavalry, teleporting, shooting, uh, good magic. They have lots of different ways to approach the battle, um, and they're good at them, right? And they have high model counts, Right, like mm. you get a lot of sentinels in a Lumineth list, and high body counts are are useful, especially with rally and things like that in the game. Tactically, they're useful, right? Because if uh, you can rally back ten sentinels, that's a pretty big deal. Um, mm-hmm. And and other armies just don't do that, right? They don't have they have similar options, but they don't have the same strengths. Like Gits uh, have shooters. Shooters are nowhere in contention to the other shooting units in the game, right? Nope. They've got rock cut trogs, which are really good Ren 2, 3 damage attackers, but they're slow and they're fragile and they just die. 
Yep. Right? So, like, it feels like some armies are being punished for no reason, while other armies get all the benefits and none of the downsides. And there's uh, just no semblance of how or why this is being done. Um, so I think for most people playing this game, this is going to be the biggest point about what's wrong with the game currently. And again, we we think the game is pretty good overall. This is like that last 15% or so that the game needs to be really, really good, right? Because mm-hmm. unless unless you're at a GT, these are not really that big of a problem, right? Like we're, we're tournament players. This is our focus. Um, but this stuff trickles down into the community, right? Like how I'm telling my friend, don't play Skaven because they're not very strong. If, if tournament data didn't exist, how would I know to tell him that? Right, so this stuff has an impact on the perception of of the game, and that matters for people's ability to get into the hobby, to play the armies they want to play. And if everything was strong, people would spend more money, frankly, right? Like, how many times have you thought about getting into another faction, getting a small side project, and you're like, oh, I really like the models, but eh, it's not very strong. Even if you never play it, just knowing that it's good at something makes you feel like you should buy it more. Mm. I actually feel bad for Vista Chaos players. There's a lot of people who pick up that army because it, they just like the look of it, like that primal feel, yeah. and it's just it's so bad on the tabletop. Like, yeah, just like it's like an entire vanguard chamber army. It's like just floundering about and not doing anything. And like that army could have the worst stats in the game. Look at a game like Underworlds, which which has yeah. like Beasts of Chaos play in Underworlds like how they play. Uh, in Age of Sigmar proper. They're weak, they're fragile, mm-hmm. they don't do a lot of damage, they're kind of fast, but not really. They're, they're like, they, they suck. But nobody scores objectives like the Beasts of Chaos do in Underworlds. Right? I'm not saying they're really good at it or they're really powerful. What I'm saying is there is a distinct way that they are trying to win the game. And in Age of Sigmar, mm-hmm. the way to win the game is to win at the battle plan and to win at the specific neutral battle tactics. So maybe... Maybe this is an issue you solve by getting better battle tactics. What if, and hear hear me out, this is like a wild design and they might even be doing this. What if Beast of Chaos didn't care? Like, let's say uh, there's a battle plan with three objectives. Beast of Chaos declares that we're not even going to, we're only going to care about one of these objectives and everything else is a battle tactic for them. Like they don't just the, the the way they score, the way they win the game is battle tactics alone. Like they pick three battle tactics a turn and they have to accomplish those. So the army is so so his and this is a problem that second edition had, right? A lot of the game was sitting your troops down on a point and defending that point from enemy troops. And so what that meant was things like the Vanguard Chamber can't really see play because yeah. Vanguard Hunters and Paladors suck at sticking on a point. Yeah. Like compared to say Liberators, you know? So what if an army won by not necessarily doing primary scores? And I'm more referring to like the way 40k is played. Like objectives matter. Like primary objectives obviously matter. But secondary objectives based around how, what your army wants to be doing matter so much more in points that you could score half the points on primary, score all your secondaries, and win the game just off of that. Yeah. No, that's that's where I was going with it, right? Is that AOS, we have these we- really weak grand strategies and battle tactics, but if they were a good system... Uh, like, let's say for Stormcast, because everybody here should be familiar with them, what if we had battle tactics that could only be scored by Vanguard units? And that including a Vanguard unit basically just allowed you to score this tactic. Kind of like how if you bring, in a lot of lists, if you just bring one monster, it, it unlocks Monstrous Rampage. What if we had that for Vanguard? What if we had that for Sacrosanct? 
you know what if these things mattered instead of just being this like oh god i don't even know what some of them are kill a kill a hero with a redeemer unit i think it has to be full health too or something like it's yeah yeah way too specific so like yeah beast of chaos yeah we yeah that has garbage stats right absolutely abysmal damage and and no mobility but if they could still win the game that would be perfect like give them other ways to win besides like other scoring mechanisms right the game is designed in such a way that the primary objectives are pretty much all that matters or just tabling your opponent right Mm -hmm. we need to slow the game down and we need to make battle tactics matter more i think we lean into that and the game becomes more enjoyable i think we need progressive battle tactics so it's all the battle tactics are well so all of the secondary objectives are you do this thing for this turn there needs to be something that rewards you no ma- in the 10 turns of Age of Sigmar, no matter when you do it. So, like, like, so what I'm thinking of is like, uh, sorry, not 10 turns, 5 turns. What I mean is like, think of something like, I, I don't know if you're familiar with this, it's called Engage on All Fronts. It's a 40k progressive objective. You score it each round, or each, each, each of your turns, or each round, whenever you have units in all four quarters. Hmm. That's a progressive objective because you keep scoring it every turn. Okay. See, I thought what you meant was. If Beast of Chaos could do. Yeah, Beast of Chaos could do that. That'd be great instead of having to worry about primary. Yep. Yeah, and then that kind of creates like a mini game that the other player is trying to do, which you're trying to keep them out of certain corners of the map. And because that faction can only deep strike on the first turn, that would be fine. That would be more of a problem if Mm -hmm. your faction was deep striking every turn or had crazy mobility or something. It kind of creates like this little. Mini game. How many resources do you want to deploy to kill ten ungors in that corner over there to deny me a tactic? Yeah, and that would be good because right now the game is too focused on killing each other in order to take objectives and score, win through vic- like victory points. Not even really like most games these days are determined by round one and two, which again we're stormcast. That's what stormcast do. So maybe that's just an issue with our faction in particular. But when I play other factions, I get the same feeling: is that you know who's going to win at the bottom of two. Mm-hmm. so yeah uh other things that are imbalanced in the game armies with really high range high power shooting are a problem like they always do well long strike raptors have always been good zinch skyfires have always been some degree of good right now they're not so hot but they were really really good right long range high damage is a is a really hard combination to balance properly right a lot of the armies that are doing well right now are doing well because of that, because the the strategic advantage you get from doing a lot of damage with very little risk outweighs, you know, you just put useless stuff in the way, like screens, and then shoot. And that's that's going to beat most melee armies. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, that's a problem. It's also not fun to play against, right? Like that's uh, one of the things I've talked about with 40k that doesn't appeal to me is is you kind of just shoot each other off the table. It's not an interactive way to play the game, right? Especially in third edition where we have this reactive gameplay thing. You can all-out defense, and that feels pretty good. Um, but a lot of the shooting just does mortal wounds and goes through it, and it's irrelevant. Yep. On the on the same kind of note, um, Storm Drake Guard are kind of not fun to play against an army of all Storm Drake Guard, right? Like, in a squad of four... As a tactical choice in a list, I think Storm Drake Guard are fine. I don't think we have enough tournament data that shows that they're overpowered by any means in GTs, but none of that matters because they're not fun to play against. 
right? It doesn't matter if a unit is balanced or imbalanced. You can have a 33% win rate, right? Like two thirds of the time you just lose. But if that army is not fun to play against, it's a problem. Yeah. And and Stormdrake I think it's that hero phase move, locking people in their zone. People hate that. It's like, because yeah. it, it's one thing to position, like you have to think about it. The board is shorter now. We're not in, in the, we used to be what, 72 by... Uh, 50 something was that was that the board size we shortened the board size yeah for yeah we've shortened the board size we've we can deploy on most battle plans 11 inches to 13 and uh, sorry uh, 11 inches up the board i think and these guys have a threat range of 36 inches mm -hmm. you can't hide from them yeah it's, it's and they really, fly it's so they ignore to terrain a, it's tough to have a long threat range like high mobility flying unit that does yeah. good melee damage but also yeah. has its own shooting to clear out screens, so that if you like, if you bring four of them, their their dragon breath will not reliably kill a screen. So you feel like yeah. you can have some counterplay against it. You, you know, the stormcast player will have other shooting that will kill the screen, but by themselves they can't. But when you have an army of ten dragons, that mortal wound shooting will kill the screen, and then they're getting in. So you just end up getting fully surrounded by this army. And yeah, and they lock you in your zone, and they're breathing fire, and they're three up save. I think, like, like you said, points is just a way. Like you can make them either unplayable, like you can just point them like really aggressively at like four four twenty and make them completely like people don't take these anymore, you know. Or you could just change the war scroll and say like that hero phase ability is only something one unit can do a turn. Yeah. I think the, the best suggestion I've heard is to make that ability, take it off the War Scroll, and turn it into a Holy Command. Yeah, that, that too. That works. Yeah. Um, I don't want to get into like too many specific fixes for Storm Drake Guard because it's a big topic, and I'm still not convinced that they are a problem in a tournament setting, which is my main concern. Um, and I don't want to see them just lose that movement because that's kind of what defines them, right? Like if they don't have that, that double tap move, they wouldn't see play like, unless you're playing dragons because dragons look cool, which is fine. Yeah. That's a fine way. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if yeah. they didn't it have makes that, them unique. That, I agree. Yeah. They're, they're a high mobility say, unit in a, in a slow army that needs it. No, I think the making it one, one a turn would make sense because it gives the opponent time to deal with the dragons that are in front of their army. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah. Van Lung said, Van Lung back. one says dragon breath is very swingy. Don't rate them too high. I agree it's really swingy. We, we're not saying it's like a top table. It's going to get you like first place at a GT. So, you know, it's not rated that high. What I'm saying is it's going to solidly dominate mid tables. It's like Grizzlegore. It's like when you face that Terrorgeist that fights twice with a CP, if your opponent is really good at rolling sixes with that rerollable bite, you're going to feel really bad no matter what you're playing. Mm -hmm. Like when they're doing 18 mortal wounds, 24 mortal wounds to you, you can't do anything. You're just like, okay, I guess I take yeah. my model off the board. I couldn't respond to that at all. And that's what the Dragon Breath is. It's just a really... And that's what it does. Really swinging mechanics are either really unfun for the person playing them, or, or they're really uh, unfun for the person who's going up against them. Mm -hmm. And there's so many examples of this. There's like... I remember playing Hammers of Sigmar when they had that 5-up reanimate the entire Redeemer unit. And the look on my opponent's face when I bring back 440 points worth of sequiturs 9 inches away from them again, after they just, you know, just barely finished killing them, is priceless but i also understand that there was a chance it would have done nothing and i would have wasted a command point <laughs> or chance that i just win the game and my opponent feels really bad for doing all this work to kill my unit 
Yeah, because of a, a high variance dice roll, right? It's like when when yep. uh, Slanish in Second Edition, when they were making you fight last on a on a three up, right? That felt bad. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, it's probably gonna happen. I have to count on it happening. It changes the way I play it. Um, yeah, it's. I don't. I don't think Stormdrake Guard. I think they're just a good example of of what's like. Some units are imbalanced in the sense that they're just they have too much, right? If yeah. I think once per turn is the is the simplest, easiest way to limit them. That only one of them can do the hero phase move once per turn. It curbs down. It doesn't stop them from being used in mixed lists. It curbs down the drakes. It's a good solution. Uh, but I want to point out like. That that kind of answer, um, like it's good. I like it. I kind of just want to point out how similar that is to like a Lord Imperitan only being able to scions one unit seven inches away per turn. Like imagine mm-hmm. if he could do any number of them per turn. If you could just drop three Grand Hammer squads right off the bat, turn one. That's what Stormdrake Guard are. Yeah. Not oh even, God, yeah. Except they can also shoot the screens out of the way. Right. Yeah, so it's. I mean, you technically, yeah, because that's what they're doing. You're doing a three of D three more wounds. If you could dro- just drop like four annihilator squads at once mm-hmm. and breathe fire on people's screens by just impact mortal wounds, yeah, yeah, that'd be that'd be crazy. Yeah, so I don't think Drakes are even overpowered, but they're uh, they have an imbalanced war scroll. They scale too well by taking too many of them. Not even to the point where they get too strong, just not fun. I feel like I'm all over the place with this. So, um, yeah. Speaking of unfun game mechanics, um, let me explain what I mean by by save stacking not being fun. A lot of people have talked about this. I'm of the opinion that it's good to have units that don't just die immediately. That's I don't mm-hmm. think anybody can disagree with that take, right? It's it's way better than second edition where every single thing in the game died as soon as anything hit it. There was nothing in the game except a Bastilladon that could survive any significant damage, right? Everything was just fragile, paper thin, it would all just explode. And we're finally in a place where we have some way to keep big stuff alive, which feels good, feels really good, right? To throw a Stegodon, um, when you had the Amulet of Destiny on it, into combat, and it survives for a turn, and you're like, yes! I'm actually playing tactically. My opponent is putting resources into this thing, I'm forcing attention onto it, uh, and that's giving up damage elsewhere. This feels freaking great. But save stacking is not the way to get that feeling. Because it has all kinds of problems associated with it. Namely, it makes rend useless. Not even less useful, but useless. If you can stack enough save bonuses, rend 1 doesn't matter anymore. Rend 2 doesn't matter anymore. And in some cases, rend 3 won't even matter anymore. It is, there are too many save bonuses, and it is devaluing rend. And what that causes is an arms race to stack more and more mortal wounds, right? If your army doesn't have mortal wounds by the end of third edition, if we keep going down this way, armies that don't do high mortal wounds will not be viable. One of the main reasons I'm worried about IDK, like how do they get through a guard that's on a three up save ignoring minus one rend when that's the majority of their army? And they don't seem like the kind of army that should have high mortal wounds, right? Like thematically, aesthetically, they look and play fine without spamming mortal wounds everywhere. They have that little burst from the eels, which is cool. They have, you know, the turtle can do some if it gets lucky, but they don't need to be a high mortal wound army because they have other things going for them. They fight first, they're fast, they're flying, they can deep strike. They're board controlling, yep. Yeah, they can't be shot properly. They have a lot of stuff going on. And it's a... 
it would just suck if the whole game devolved into everything needs mortal wounds, right? So I don't think save stacking is, is a fun game mechanic. It feels good to be defensive, but the particular way that we're going about it right now has a lot of problems associated with it that are leading us down a really bad route. And I have solutions mm -hmm. for this, which we will talk about later. I promise. Um, One-drop armies are a huge problem. Not because yeah, we already talked about it. not yeah. because one drop like is inherently broken. It's because you pick the turn order, right? That's that's the unfun part is that it warps the entire game around this concept of we're playing two rounds in this game. I'm choosing who's going first in half of those rounds, and I'm also choosing who gets to uh, who gets a chance at the double turn, which is going to determine the game. If the double turn happens, it's pretty much over, right? Not only that, but I'm also using finest hour in the time that I would be weak to that potential counterattack. So I'm going to force you to go first. I'm going to finest hour. I'm going to double turn. Easy, right? Like just easy, easy gameplay. And um, it's not fun. Armies that can't do that particular strategy well start to fall to the wayside, right? And I don't, I don't want the game to be defined by that anymore. The game is really fast. It's really punchy. I don't. I want more than the first two rounds of the game to matter. I want to play a tactical five-round game where you're taking trades, taking down opportunity costs, you're playing tactically, and not just trying to table your opponent. Yeah. Uh, Blackie1632 says, I hate save stacking even as someone who started out with Stormcast. Yeah, dude. We're all Stormcast players, and I can tell you I don't like save stacking. I like protectors being on a one plus it feels good that they, that stuff just bounces off them right but i i wish they could do that without devaluing my opponent's rend completely there are other ways to accomplish this kind of defensive uh, ability chase yeah no i agree like I, I don't think turn i don't think number of drops should determine turn value or like not in that way at least i think it should just be like 40k it's a roll and I think you should. I think you can do a thing where you win ties if you finish dropping first. But ultimately, I think it should be a roll. Yeah, because if you if you have a battle regiment and your opponent doesn't, you get to decide. The only way to counter that is to also have a battle regiment, and then you go into a roll off. Yeah, there's not enough opportunity cost, and I don't think there ever will be enough opportunity cost. You would have to lock so much power behind other battalions. And I don't know if we want to do that. It seems easier to just make players roll off and have to stop thinking about, am I going to go first or second in the first turn? That shouldn't determine the whole game. Um, another thing that really drives me nuts is one-inch range on units with base sizes greater than one inch. The, I James, don't... is Paul's voice robotic to you? No, his voice is fine to me. Okay, it's just me then. Never mind. Um, yeah, one inch range on on units with thirty two mil bases or bigger drives me crazy. I this this has been a problem since day one in Age of Sigmar, and I really like I appreciate it from a uh, like setting up melee combats perspective. But now that we have this new combat or, or sorry new um, cohesion rule, it's such a pain in the butt. Like the fact that Volkai Berserkers have one inch range. Um, sequiturs have one inch range on their stuff. Vanquishers have one inch range. Like, god damn, dude, it's so awful. Like, and 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 you don't want to just give every unit two inch range, right? Because that, that causes all kinds of problems. But it's like, no, just give them all two inch range. 
I want to see what the game looks like when every model in the unit can actually attack. Yeah, I I guess... Yeah, I'm not sure why that decision was made. Now, I, I don't know if you saw that post about how you can actually fight in two ranks with 32mm models. I, I hate that. Like, just, <laughs> this is the silliest workaround. It's obviously not an intentional game design, right? They have a vision for how the game works, is that you fight in two ranks, and if you have one-inch weapons, you fight in one rank, otherwise you fight in two. Cool, right? In practical terms, it just ends up feeling awful because you start thinking of all these ways to abuse that rule. You know, if we're going to stick with this with this current cohesion, we need to change the range on weapons. Like one inch it's one of the reasons hordes aren't very good right now. We're stuck in a monster meta because one inch range weapons exist. That's true. Yeah, so if you're an infantry army that relies exclusively on 32mm bases with yeah. one inch reach, you're kind of boned. Yeah, so. how are how are uh, most armies with that particular combo gonna kill a gargant yeah. corn <clears throat> yes how are blood yeah. reavers gonna kill a gargant they're not that's the answer yeah. yeah so it's that needs to change um they could do it with a general rule right it could be in the next general's handbook uh, all units with one inch range uh they fight even if they're within one inch of another unit that's within range something right they could they could put something in so yeah we'll have to see yeah um, I think there's too much variance. I love reactive gameplay, but there's too much variance in abilities like redeploy and rally. And I'm and and you know the double turn is huge variance too. I think we can mitigate that by adding more reactive gameplay. So I'm fine with that variance existing, but the variance that comes from redeploy and rally feels huge. If you if you roll three sixes and get three Stormdrake Guard back in your unit of four, game's over. <laughs> That's it. The game's over at that point. You you used a command point and you won the game. Good job. Um, mm -hmm. if, you, if you redeploy six inches off a charge, you might have just won the game. These are way That's, too impactful for a yeah. single dice roll. Um, because I'll turn, it could just do a one, and it's like, ooh, there's a risk and there's a reward. It's like, no. That's too much reward. Like, and it feels awful when you get a one, right? Like, how many times have you guys rolled a, a one on a redeploy and just been like, oh, well, that was a great command point? All the time. Yeah. And right. sometimes you roll a six and it's like, oh, have fun charging nine inches. Yeah. And the game might just be over because they failed their charge, right? These are hugely impactful abilities. Um, I think they need to be reined in. And I'll mention my specific ways in, in the next slide. Um, tooth and Nail is is another unfun game mechanic because it just unfairly punishes some armies. And obviously we're biased for Stormcast, right? And I'm going to keep saying that because it's it should be repeated. But other armies suffer from this too, right? Like Night Hunt. Why are we punishing Night Hunt? What, like, what have they done to deserve this? And they keep adding things yeah. and trying to band-aid it. And, and, and it's just not working. Right? Yeah. Just either get rid of the concept of no reserves or just let them do reserves just, I don't know, on round three instead. Right? Yeah, just like a, a round late. Like, yeah. you, you know, you have to commit all your forces by round two. Like, maybe, like, in, instead of, you know, round three being the last, you have, to, you have to do it by round two. Yeah. Like, imagine if, if there was a battle plan where you can't use spells and you just can't use spells. That's it. Oh, you brought wizards? Mm -mm, sorry, doesn't matter. No spells in this battle plan. 
Yeah, no, I, I hate punishing people for allegiance abilities. And it sucks because like the entire signs of the storm is like that that's it. That's our ability. It's one paragraph. And yeah. you're not even gonna give us that. Like, come on, dude. Yeah. No. If it was lessened as an effect, right? Like maybe maybe every battle plan had some turn that you could come in on, right? Like some of them could be turn one, some of them could be turn two, some of them you can't bring reserve in on turn three. Fine. Make it like a game-wide thing right? To keep the power of these abilities in check if they're that much of a concern. Um, but don't just have one battle plan where you're like, no, can't do it. Not today. Yeah. <laughs> it just feels awful for no reason. Yeah. So, and, and, and then you have like Stormcast and Nighthawk players will go to tournament organizers that are using this battle plan and be like, really, dude, come on. What are you doing? Yeah. Nobody likes this. Who likes this? Find me a person who likes this, and I will shame them for having such poor taste. Okay. Um, another thing that drives me crazy is how much useless stuff there is in the game. Right? I know we're just talking about Volkite Berserkers, but this is a problem that's been going on forever. They design things to just be bad, seemingly on purpose. Because to have to accidentally design so many good units and then accidentally design so many weak units... Like... It has to be on purpose, right? Like, you can't assume they're that incompetent. They have to have some people there who are just doing this on purpose for reasons we'll never understand. That's. I mean, I, I get like, it. Like, not everything receives the same amount of attention. You can't have everything, like, optimized and be useful. There's always going to be optimal things and things that are functionally useless or very niche. I'm okay with it. I don't have too much of a problem with it. Not, Not currently, anyway. Uh, Randall says, like, like that's how I feel about endless spells. Actually, that's like, yeah, yeah, they're not faction endless spells specifically. You know, there's some faction one like Umbral Spell Portal is probably the best one. Um, the Nighthawk ones are kind of good. I'm actually okay with this. Like, if endless spells like just fall off by the wayside, like I don't think Nurgle got any endless spells, did they? No, no. So like, because uh, you know the the Necroquake or whatever is over. Mm-hmm. It's been quelled. If endless spells just fall off by the wayside, as this thing that's there you you can use it if you want but you don't have to i'm okay with it yeah yeah randall says um i like it referring to tooth and nail more than apex predators or power in numbers i here's where i'll disagree with you on that man um those battle plans are okay because every army has leaders every army has battle line um these are things that every army has to bring and because there's the minimum number of them you have to bring it's not punishing if you like, you can't show up to a game without battle line. Some battle line is better than other battle line, and that's fine, right? You might even think, oh, I'm coming up to a tournament and uh, Apex Predators is there, so I'm going to make sure I don't run a list that only has two heroes, right? That's kind of an interesting um, effect on your list building. Whereas, oh, Tooth and Nail exists? I guess I'm not playing Stormcast, right? It's it's way too harsh of a penalty, and it's it's uh, that's why I think it could be modified, right? If, if units came in on round three and like then acted normally you just didn't have them round one and two you're not deleting an ability from the game just because you're playing on a certain battle plan um but yeah on the topic of endless spells i kind of just wanted to get your thoughts on this because i i think they they're conceptually i like them i like the idea that you have Mm -hmm. models that aren't units and they act differently and they're distinct and they're cool and i i like that but i don't think they're very they're just a spell 
Like you cast them instead of doing another spell and that just feels weird. Like invocations feel good. I don't know why. I, I haven't thought this fully through, but for some reason invocations, like the Fire Slayer ones, they feel really good to summon, but endless spells don't. And is it because like the high variance in casting and because your opponent can unbind them? Is that it? Uh, is it that they're just not that strong? Like what, what are you guys currently It's It's because they're not that strong. Um, yeah. Take it for what you will. Uh, I heard this from... Can't remember where, which from like from some like playtest or something where it's like in the in their second uh, edition uh, iterations of like just the generic endless spells, not the faction ones. The fact that the core rules change and let you control them no matter what, like everyone basically had bound endless spells, made them really really strong. Like every every list that they were playtesting had geminids and like pendulum in it because you could just control them all the time because the board was shorter. And then you could just like run over your opponent's army with them and just completely mess them up. And so they just turn everything into like really low impact, other than maybe like Umbral Spell Portal, which is perhaps, like I said, the most useful one. And and that's okay because like you don't want this thing because uh, like when we used to play with Geminids in our uh, Andal Strike, that thing was there as like this thing that can cause quite a bit of damage to the opponent's army without basically any risk. And it was a great double turn insurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I um, like their role in, in double turn insurance. I really like that gameplay mechanic a lot. Yeah. I, I think it just felt bad because like you can't have really powerful damaging spells that have really long range. Sorry, really short range, because then it just means it's going to get turned around on you because you don't want to give up the turn either necessarily. So do you think if we were to make them like less opportunity cost and more reliable, let's say we keep their power the same. Because frankly, I don't want to get to a place where Zinch is bringing like three of these things again and just nuking you down with these spells. That I don't want to deal with that. But let's say yeah. we keep their effects the same, but we make them less opportunity cost, so either less points or I think we've pitched in the past. I think they should be an enhancement. The faction ones feel like they should be an enhancement, right? The general yeah. ones, maybe not because there's too much variance in, in how each army uses it, right? Um, like some armies are going to really love a spell portal and it's just going to be an auto-include every time. You're just going to take the spell portal and that feels like it should cost points instead because it's it's yeah. universal, right? Um, but the faction ones could be an enhancement, right? And then let's say easier to cast. Let's say there's a heroic action that you can re-roll casting and in the spell this turn if it's a faction in the spell to keep it constrained to some some semblance of balance. Right, that would be cool. Or even uh, heroic willpower gives you the ability we'll, we'll to do... cast a faction in the spell. Yeah, I I think it would be okay because the thing is, you really get two opportunities to unbind endless spells. One is the casting attempt, and the other is like whatever the next turn is at the start of that hero phase, you get to unbind it. Yeah, you get to or like it. dispel it. Yeah. So and a priest can do that too. So I don't know about how good I would like that. Um, I, I generally don't like anything that's like autocast like uh like that new osiarch uh, uh ability or whatever where like they pick a mortison and whatever they cast you can't unbind it mm-hmm. um now imagine that if that ability existed and then the spell power was really good like the power level of like say the ge- geminid stayed where it was from previous edition like that'd be really good as an ability yeah like I, I, I almost think too could, good 
I think they could make them work. I think you'd have to limit this to faction in the spells, not just any in the spell, right? Because yeah. some armies casting Geminids, some armies casting Spell Portal have a lot more value out of these things than other armies, right? Like Iron Jaws don't care about Geminids. They don't care if they stop you from blocking a lot. But, but like the thing is, like with the faction endless spells too, the power level is like all over the place. Like an Osiarch Bone Reaper spell yeah. that effectively gets plus one to hit to your whole army because of that that Bone Tide Shrieker is way better than like say our Dice Arcanum. Yeah. No, no, so no, making them enhancements also doesn't feel right. You know? But here's the thing: if you make them enhancements, and you 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 kind of create a new design paradigm, and you can design them in a different way, right? Okay. Yeah. Sure. Because it doesn't make sense that Stormcast suck at casting their own spells. It doesn't make sense that Beast of Chaos suck at casting their own endless spells. So if we can make these faction endless spells reliable, we can keep their power in check because we know they're more reliable, right? So let's say they're an enhancement, so they don't cost points. Right. And let's say you have a heroic action to uh, re-roll casting your faction endless spell and or, or like a plus two and your opponents have a minus one to unbind or something that just increases the odds of it. Maybe it makes it it's not a cast once per game faction in the spell. There you go. You get it. Like a lightning in a bottle or the, the spell in a bottle. Right. Like, let's say every yeah. faction had access to that because I, I like them. um I like the concept of endless spells and I want to see them use more because it's a thing that AOS does that no other game does. Mm -hmm. So I'd, I'd like to see it just, it's not that there's anything inherently wrong within the spells right now. They just feel underutilized and they should be this big selling thing um, that they were supposed to be in second edition and just give them to every faction. Like why do we have some with and some without like, come on. I didn't know. It's like terrain. Spells. I don't know why some factions have terrain and some don't. Well, I kind of get that. Like, Stormcast don't need terrain. If we're Scions, we don't need it. If we're Stormkeep, maybe we should have some terrain. But, like, thematically, okay, I can see it, right? Like, no, I, I, I just don't like the, the benefits of some terrain. Because, it, like you said, it's free. Like, it's, it's almost like an enhancement, which makes it an auto-take. Like, if, in, if Endless Spells were an enhancement, like Faction Endless Spells, for sure, I'd be taking, like, a Comet, I think, in my lists. Yeah. Well, and the buffs are often really, really good. Like... The Lumineth one just giving them extra CP and a garrison. You know, the throne yeah. giving Flesh Eater Quartz, like, extra summoning. Like, what if we had, like, I don't know, like a Statue of Sigmar that said, let that basically had the same ability as the Imperitant. Like, once per game, this thing, yeah. like, directs the lightning, and alongside the Imperitant, you can drop another Annihilator seven inches away. That would be cool. Yeah. yeah so, like, you can. You, know, you can do these things. But. I think endless spells are just more impactful. They're more identifying because there's other terrain on the board. You don't start yeah. the game with other endless spells, right? So Randall in the chat says, uh, "Why not treat endless spells like spell in a bottle once per game? Cannot be unbound the turn it comes out and auto casts. Then it's fair game." If you did that with you know just faction spells, I there's still opportunities to dispel it afterwards, right? So yeah, once per game, your wizard gives up a spell to guaranteed cast. Um, a faction endless spell. Mm -hmm. right. If you had to pay points for that, that wouldn't be bad, right? Like Caradron gets that effect, and they still pay points for it, and they're okay paying 100 whatever points for Warp Lightning Vortex. I would pay 100 points for a Comet if it was guaranteed once per game. Mm -hmm. Right? Because I'd pay 120 for a Vexilor who does pretty much the same thing. So, um, sure. on, the, on the topic of a botched release schedule, um, Again, I'm not blaming Games Workshop for this. There's problems going on that they have no control over. Um, 
but it just I feel like it's killed a lot of the hype that that the start of third edition generated right everybody mm-hmm. got so amped up about the era of the beast and and we're moving into this new thing because we've been in the realm of death forever it feels like everything's been about death forever and finally we're moving on to something new there's some new characters there's all these guys there's Kragnos there's the mouth of um, the the cruel boys guy there's a whole new faction that are doing things like we've never seen these guys before and it turns out they've been plotting and scheming and you know and then nothing we've done nothing it's been yeah. seven months and there's been nothing and it's it's not their fault if they have stuff in the pipeline cool it i just want to express that it is a, it is a i don't like it <laughs> that's all <laughs> Like I can say, I, mean, I don't like it and understand why it's happening, right? I'm not like yeah, it is yeah. what it is. It, it just means like the armies that are like doing something really good won't have like a response to them. Like if the idea is like you have all these books out and they all have tools that are counter to each other, it it means that whatever's dominant, like if dragons are dominant and the tool to solve them is like in the next three books, it'll just take longer, and it just means they'll be dominant. Yeah, yeah, that's what we were talking about earlier. We needed indexes going into a new edition. I think that should be the standard. You have a new edition, you're changing the rules, indexes, right? And maybe maybe some of their third edition design was constrained by the fact that they knew they weren't going to do indexes. So they needed to keep it close to second edition. And that could have hampered their overall design of the game. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see where we where we sit like a year from now when more books come out. Um how many books do you guys think are going to come out this year? Like we're, we've got at least two, right? Fire Slayers and I did like three a quarter. So two, two to three a quarter. So maybe like four, four to six, four more books at least. Four to five more books. I've got like 20 factions in the game. That's going to take a while. Uh, I'm going to say six minimum, possibly eight, depending on how fast they want to go. How Like if these supply issues clear up by like Q2, then we're going to see that pace switch up. Like we might see like two new books every month. Yeah, I hope it's better than the first year of 40k 9th edition because that felt like a slog too, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know how many people remember that, but I, I recall that release schedule just dragging on. Like they introduced the Silent King. He's here. He's here to save us from the Tyranids. Big character returning, activating all the dynasties. Nothing. Just nothing. Oh, that's just because narratively they didn't do anything with him. Like, and like, I mean, a 40k is a completely different beast, but... um. Yeah. yeah, and the thing is, like, I, I really want to see new books for things that not only need an upgrade, but some things just need to get, they need to get hit like downgraded. Like their allegiance ability stacking is too good, and I think like it'd be better to move them to this new simpler design that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, Blackie, Fire Slayers and I don't have to get new books. They're not coming with the battle box that's coming out, but they will be getting a new battle tome at some point. They don't release models without releasing rules. So the fact that the battle tomes aren't coming out at the same time has to be a logistics issue. It just has to be. This uh, yep. like they could I'd say mid-feb at most. Like yeah. you'd probably get the announcer. Yeah, could even be this uh, this weekend. Could be next weekend. They're just going to announce, hey, these books are coming. I'm thinking LVO. If they haven't announced them yet, LVO seems like the natural time to make an announcement of the next Battle Tomes. Um, And everyone's going to be like, okay, we knew those books were coming. How about something like a real announcement? And, you know, maybe we'll we'll get something. Um, Hopefully it's more than just those two books. Hopefully we get more. It doesn't, I don't know what's in the pipeline for AOS. It looks barren and that's uh, a concern. All right, so what can we actually 
do. I think this is a, this is an interesting topic. I'm not I'm gonna not try to spend three hours talking about it. How do these always go so long? I look at the slides <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, we've got like an hour of conversation here, and then it's like three hours later. Okay, Sorry, we can uh, we can we can speed through it. Okay, so what can be done? My first thought is uh, open play. What is open play? <laughs> can anyone explain to me what open play is right now? Um, just turn it into this like easy baby mode, Age of Sigmar. Make it the easy to learn game mode that you can introduce to people. Be like, hey, here's your war scrolls, command abilities, and points. And like one or two battle plans. Make them really, really simple battle plans. Here's an objective in the middle of the board. Fight over it. Mm -hmm. Easy, right? If open play was the introductory experience, it would serve a purpose and it would make the game easier to play. I don't think creating another game mode on top of the three that we currently have, like open-er play, like even more open, right? Like, no, just make use of this open play thing that seems to have no purpose. I don't know anybody who knows what open play is. It's a, uh, it's there. It has one page in the rules that basically just says, okay, turn to the match play now because that's what everybody's actually doing. And like cut out factions, battalions, allegiance, terrain, enhancements, um, everything. Cut all that stuff out. Make it the simplest, bare-bones gameplay, War Scrolls, Points, and Commands. And that's the basics of Age of Sigmar 3rd Edition. Um, I think some of the rules, like we talked about, need to be standardized, right? We have flying in the core rules. We have strike first and strike last in the core rules. Let's put auras and bodyguards in there, too. And... Yeah. If we start getting to a point where it gets out of hand, okay, we start pulling some of that stuff out again. But frankly, it's easier to understand what flying is if you read it once in the core rules and then you never have to reference it again because you you look at a new war scroll and you're like, oh, there's flying. I know what that is. If I ever need to reference yeah. it, I know where to look. Right? I don't need a paragraph um, explaining how this ability works and trying to compare it to other abilities in the game that have very slightly different wording for no reason that are supposed to work the same way, but because they have the slightly different wording, they work in a totally different way. Tired of it. Get rid of it. Flying, strike first in the core rules. Let's put everything else in there too. Mm. And there's there's simple things we can do to address a lot of the issues in the previous panel. Um, in terms of the one-drop thing, we could just get rid of Battle Regiment. Yeah. Right? If players still decide turn order, but at least there's no one-drop then it's a different game, right? Because then if Battle Regiment doesn't exist, if everybody's at like 6 to 12 drops, drop consideration becomes a thing, right? There's no guarantee you're going to be one drop. There's no guarantee you're going to have less drops than your opponent, right? Yeah. So that's a simple thing you can do to radically shift the game in a good direction, I think. I would prefer a more complex fix where players have to roll off for it, um, but I think an even easier one right now is just get rid of Battle Regiment. Yeah. I think um, Rally is way too high variance right now, and it scales insane with units, right? Like, it's not... I don't know. I don't like the idea that you, you, you've you lost 15 models and you Inspiring Presence them, and then next turn you spend another command point, which you just generated because it's the start of a new turn, and you just revive, I don't know, you get lucky and you revive 10 of them. And that swings the game so heavy. It's crazy how much of a swing that is in the game. Right, your opponent is. Imagine if they start introducing five up rally like on vanquishers, but they put it on like other horde armies. Like like 
Imagine scheming having an allegiance ability that makes them rally on a five ball. Yeah, it would be awful. I think uh, I think rally needs to be standardized. It's also a, just awful to revive storm drakes, right? Like that's a unit that should yeah. be revived. <laughs> oh period. god, yeah. There's there should be a zero percent chance of reviving a storm drake. The fact that you can Whoa. get lucky and revive three, no, that's so dumb. <laughs> Well, it, uh, quite honestly, anything that probably has the elite characteristic on the War Scroll probably shouldn't be able to rally, I think. It feels awful to do Annihilators too, man. Like, yeah. I, like, can you imagine running like six Grand Hammers, losing four, and then reviving three of them? Like, oof. Yeah, I think... It's uh, such an impactful unit. I think rally should be capped at the bottom and at the top, right? In terms of like really big units um, that have like 30 models, reviving a whole bunch of them is going to lead to problems down the road. I think we should cap it at D6 models worth D6 worth of wounds. wounds worth of models, yep. Right. So there's a chance you can get a Dracoth back. There's no yeah. chance you get a Storm Drake. Right. You yep. can get up to six Luminate Sentinels back. Cool. That's that's you know, if you lost six models, you get potentially six back. Okay, that feels really good. But it's better than just randomly getting ten or fifteen back, right? Yeah. Or getting like a yeah, like an elite unit, like a shark or a or a main crusher gargant. Like I don't know. Mm-hmm. Some th- and that creates another break point for wounds, right? Like seven wounds suddenly, or it's, it's oh, you can't rally this. So that's a consideration in the value of that unit, which is fine. Um, another simple fix they could do, and I'm completely opposed to this one, but it is a thing they could do, and I think a lot of people are calling for it. They could cap save rolls at plus one before rend, which means you would have, if you had plus three to saves and you get hit by a minus two attack, you end up with plus one. Uh, right now, you would end up with uh, plus one overall. And in this new paradigm, you would have minus one overall because you cap your save first at plus one, then you apply the rend to figure out what the actual rule would be. Now that, it's too late for that, I think. I think we've we've come too far in designing third edition because they've probably designed like half the books already, at least, right? So these armies are balanced around this. Stuff like protectors, which have plus one save on their war scroll, um, the only reason they're good is because you can stack it with Mystic Shield, you can stack it with Castellant Lantern, you can stack it with all of defense, right? It's too late, I think, to make that kind of change. But they could still do it, and it would just it would break a lot of armies, and I'm worried that they are going to do that. So, um, Tooth and Nail, we talked about, just make it so you can't deploy or summon until turn three, right? That seems yeah, easy. No, that's fine. Keeps the flavor of the that. battle plan. It keeps it as a consideration. But it's no longer, ugh, I just won't play this tournament because they're playing tooth and nail. Like, that's that sucks. Nobody likes that. Or just be like, you have to deploy the entirety of your army, but like, reduce the time limit. Like, round two, all your units need to be deployed. Yeah, that's fine, too. Yeah. Or um, maybe we go into, like, what 40k does, which is you just can't deploy round one unless you have a special ability. I don't want to do that, personally. But if that's what it takes to get the game into a less lethal, more tactical place, then then that's what we got to do. Yeah, that's fine by me too. Yeah. yeah. And frankly, that right. might that might encourage round one alpha strikes even more because if they can't deploy the reserve units, then you just bum rush them off the table. Maybe, but only a few armies have the movement to do that. So. Yeah. Or shooting, right? Long range shooting more. Yeah. Um, I think we need more reactive gameplay. Right? I think heroic, we could add more heroic actions, more monstrous rampages, and more counter abilities. So let me, I kind of put some notes here. I've been thinking about these abilities. Um, raise the banner is kind of this, I have this idea of a hero of like, 
you know, raise the banner high and it inspires all your troops. And I think, well, what would that look like? It can't just be, it can't just be a Battleshock aura. That would be pretty boring for a lot of units, right? Like who cares if, uh, if Stormcast got a Battleshock aura, that's not pretty exciting. And for other armies, well, that kind of devalues inspiring presence. So you don't want to do that either. But what if raise the banner was something like, uh, until your next hero phase, all units within range of a totem hero uh, have a six up ward or something, right? Like some rallying and, and defensive instinct, like you're willing to push yourself further. Uh, some kind of bonus around a totem in particular, I think would be would be pretty cool because totem keyword doesn't really matter, right? They, they added this command point system and totems get a bonus range, but who cares? Units can issue commands to themselves. Why do you care if a totem has a bonus range on it? it never matters. So yeah. So that would be cool. Glare Devourer. Was this the fight last thing you were talking about? Yeah, yeah. So Glare, I have this idea of like, you charge at a monster and the monster just just stares you down, right? And, and it unnerves you. And I like the idea of that. And I think how that could be represented in terms of gameplay um, would be to, on a, like a five up, it'd have to be a really crazy strong effect. On a five up, you give the enemy strike last. So that would obviously compete with Roar, which means you can't use all-out attack or all-out defense. Um, but in a lot of cases, Strike Last is much, much more powerful than, than a, you know, you can't use your command abilities. And I think that would be cool. Mm -hmm. um, Devour? Glare would also um, give more defensive purpose to Monsters Rampages, because I feel like right now they're really, really offensive. And I think what is really cool about Rampages is that they happen on your turn and the opponent's turn. And more defensive gameplay options, I think, would would help right now. I think Roar is a defensive one a lot of times, like just shutting off all out attack. Yeah, uh, shutting off all out attack. Because of the range, range means you can do it from behind troops too. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, shutting off all out defense is really good on the offense, though, right? Like if you charge in with storm drakes and you roar them and they can't AOD, it's like you gave yourself plus one rent. Mm -hmm. It's really strong. Uh, Devour a lot of monsters and monster like bigger stuff has this ability to like instant kill a model, right? You roll higher than its wounds and then it's just dead. Make yeah. that a rampage. Every monster should have some way to just instantly kill you. I think that would feel good, right? Make it so you can't like use it on heroes or something like rain its power in to make sure it's not insane. You're just going around one shotting heroes. Um, but if it's like, yeah, instead of taking it, instead of stomping you and dealing D3 mortal wounds, I'm going to take a chance and on a six, I'm going to kill a, a trog. Or something. Some 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 instant kill mechanic I think would be fitting. But you know, I'm sitting here complaining about high variance abilities and then I enjoy yeah. them. So yeah, that, that's that's what I was saying. Like, <laughs> now, do I want consistent abilities or do I want like high risk, high reward abilities? So now there's like, a lot of uh, opportunity costs with this. So yeah. it might it might end up being okay, right? Uh, in terms of new command abilities, the one that you and I talked about on the last podcast of countercharge. What if mm -hmm. every army in the game could countercharge? I actually yeah. think I'd want to play that game. That would be pretty cool. Just make it more focused on melee combat, right? This gets around Unleash Hell because you can't Unleash Hell on your own turn. You have mm -hmm. to do it on the opponent's arc. Can you? Um, That's I'd have to check. <laughs> it's just charge phase, so it could just be... It could just be... Actually, no, because it says your movement phase for things like double at the forward victory or whatever so yeah, does unleash hell specify the enemy charge phase we'd have to look it up <laughs> it's any charge phase oh man so if, so if if uh a glockkin charges you on your turn you can shoot it with unleash hell yes 
Yeah. Uh, awesome. <laughs> it's turning off the Fulminator like damage, but yeah, it's not stopping Unleash Helm. Okay. So now I want this ability in the game even more because that's a hilarious yeah. interaction. Um, and it would give some additional mobility to other melee armies. So I, I think that would be cool. If every army I'm had gonna a use annihilators, I don't like this on any army. <laughs> I'm okay with people charging my annihilators on my turn where I get to fight first. Bro, come on. I don't want to lose my impact. <laughs> How are you going to? Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. I see. What are you talking about? <laughs> Right. It's like it's like uh, that's my evocator damage. I'm not I'm not gonna lose that. Uh, a heroic action that heroes lets heroes have a heroic intervention at six inches. Yeah, that would be cool. Sorry, I, I misspoke, guys. GHB does say enemy charge phase. Oh, oh okay, sweet. okay, okay, cool. That's a bummer. Okay. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Heroic intervention seems like a natural fit for Age of Sigmar, right? In, after an enemy finishes a charge, you can spend a command point or a heroic action. And then do that, right? That would be something heroic. Heroes got to feel heroic. So what else can we do here? Um, there's more complex fixes, right? So like I said, the simple fix is get rid of battle regiment. A more complex fix is you get rid of stealing the initiative. So players have to roll off uh, and you keep battle regiment in the game. Because if you finish deploying first, you get plus one. Like you win the tie, like you were saying. And that is a more complicated change um, because... It would still, it still keeps that element of, of aggression, right? Like if you make an army that wants to go first, like if everybody's playing the game and they're playing it defensively, right? They're not overcommitting on turn one, but you have a list that can overcommit on turn one and you win the tie roll, like you, you build a battle regiment and you get the dice roll and you still do what you were going to do before, right? That still requires more work than just getting rid of Battle Regiment and removing that from everybody. I think it would mm -hmm. require more work. So that's a more complicated change. I'm in favor of it personally over getting rid of Battle Regiment because I like the opportunity cost between Battle Regiment and Warlord and other things like that. I think maybe the answer is get rid of, just get rid of the guarantee. Make it a rule off. Make people play more defensively. Um, incur that would encourage people going into the other battalions, which maybe they should be stronger. Maybe if you use the Vanguard ability to you know, run six once per game, you can also use another command ability in the same phase. Like Maybe that restriction should go away. There's all kinds of things you can do. I think, uh, Morgonk, you touched on this earlier, but new terrain types, right? If we had some amount of terrain on the board, I don't know how much is the right amount, but let's say some amount of terrain on the board you couldn't see through. Just straight up, no line of sight. Like woods right now, but super woods, right? None of this three inch stuff. Just if a line goes over this piece of terrain, you can't see past it, period. Mm -hmm. And then other pieces of terrain that were, you just can't finish a move on it. Even if you're flying, you cannot finish a move on this terrain. That would radically change the game. Yeah. Right? Less space for monsters, less high power shooting galleries, just taking you off the board across the field. Um, Unless you're Lumineth, but whatever. They break all the rules anyway, right? <laughs> um, yeah, that would be a big change. It would have a yeah. lot of ramifications on the game, but it would curb high-powered shooting and it would curb the Flying power monsters. of monsters. Like big units Flying. in general. Flying yeah. monsters for sure, which are one of the abuse cases, right? Like nobody's really complaining about Gorgons or Cygors. Um People are complaining about mock crushes, these giant base monsters that just move in any direction and kill anything. Yeah, and all, all the flying monsters are just treating the field like it's flat. Storm yeah. Dragor, 
Mawkrushes, Terrorgeists, you know. And Gargans, I guess, technically have a pseudo-fly, so Gargans now. Yeah, and you know, from a thematic standpoint, it might even make sense if Gargans can't reach down between two pieces of terrain and, and hit you because it's too narrow or something, right? Yeah. Like, it, it op- I, I think we need better terrain rules in Age of Sigmar. I think that's a big, big fix. So here I've also written save rules capped at plus one before Ren being a complex fix. And if they just implement that rule as in that way, it's a simple fix. It's not a good fix. Uh, but if you were to implement that rule and then compensate for it in other ways, I think that would be fine. Because one of the things I really like, as I discussed, was stuff feels defensive. Stuff can survive, right? Save stacking feels good. Um, and what feels good about it is that your unit survives a turn, right? The fact that your big monster didn't just instantly die the second it got in combat feels really good. So mm. what if we had some other kind of defensive mechanism that doesn't just invalidate Rend as a stat, right? So this kind of goes into a discussion on strength and toughness. Gets brought up a lot in the Age of Sigmar community. Should we implement a strength and toughness system? I don't think so, personally. But if you were to put in a cap on save stacking and then compensate for it with some other kind of mechanic, I think that would that would be an acceptable solution. Sure. Uh, Lookout Sir needs a revamp. Minus one to hit. Sucks. <laughs> like it doesn't feel good in an age of mortal woods. That's what I. Yeah. That's what I'll say. Yeah. With with this many units that just do stuff on hit rolls of six anyway, they just do mortal wounds. They they don't care about what their actual modified roll is, and they have high powered ren. Like lookout sir is either like against light shooting it's good, against heavy shooting it does nothing, right? And yeah. that's what the game is right now. We're in a heavy shooting. Well, especially the now that you can cancel it with a lot of tech. Yeah, you can just negate it. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, I think Lookout Sir needs to, you know, maybe you spend a command point and your hero can't be targeted or something. Maybe uh, you spend a command point and then he's like, hey, you guys over there, get in the way of these arrows. Then they turn into a bodyguard unit for the hero, right? There's all kinds of things you can do um, to make Lookout Sir more engaging, feel better to use, like, tactically. Um, Maybe it's like... You get like a four up ward or something instead of a minus one hit. I was gonna say four up bodyguard. I think all like like you said, standardize the bodyguard rule. I think all the standardized bodyguard rules should be a two up. But I think lookout sir should just be um if you're within a unit that is like five or more models, you can select it to be a bodyguard for when you're targeted with a range attack and it turns into a four up bodyguard. Yeah. So I don't I don't like the idea of just making it like the forty K lookout sir, because what I I think heroes need to be able to die, right? If you put yeah. enough shooting damage into a hero, they needs, die. yeah, the, the investment needs to be higher than what it would take to like take down a normal unit. Yeah, exactly. It shouldn't be like shooting five wounds of, or ten wounds of liberators to shoot a ten wound hero. It should feel yeah. different, right? You should have to dedicate more resources into it. So I like the idea of a four up bodyguard. Um, maybe make that a command ability or something. I don't know. It would add more reactive gameplay. It would add more strategy. There's things they can do. No, but... I just think you just you just give it. You just you just change it to be a four-arm bodyguard. Maybe like, it's like it's a... more targeted with a ranged weapon. You can select a friendly unit within three inches of this hero. Yeah. Or you know, and that's a four-arm bodyguard. It as, should as... just be there. Yeah, as long as it's you know the same restrictions, has to have at least 
two models or whatever, three models. Three models, I think. Yeah, two or three models, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that could work. Totally. And you could add like a battalion that makes it like, uh, if this unit is selected to bodyguard for this hero, they get to add one to that role. Yeah, or, sure. Or lookout, sir, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like a, uh, call it, I don't know, like a command. I was going to say command entourage, but that's already a thing. <laughs> like, yeah, something like that could, could definitely work. Um, standardized special abilities, right? Auras should act like auras. Uh, there can be variations, but we need a standard concept for what an aura is. It's just a problem. So, yeah. Um, and yeah, strength and toughness. We kind of talked about that. I've had I've had discussions about this, and I think it's uh, monsters feel good when they survive, and I want there to be a difference in attacking a monster as opposed to attacking a grot. Just from a a gameplay feel, there should be a difference, right? And right now that difference is, oh well, that monster has Mystic Shield, all out defense, and finest hour. So yeah, you're gonna have a tough time getting through it. But that doesn't yeah. feel good, right? So strength and toughness seems like it could work, but really all that ends up doing is just just making monsters more durable and making yeah. non-monsters weaker, right? Like, And there's other ways to do that that don't require rewriting every single war scroll in the game, right? So there's, there's better solutions than strength and toughness. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, and I guess the last topic we have to talk about is in 40K, the ITC kind of just change the way people played the game, right? Games Workshop was doing, let's say, not a good enough job, and the players took it upon themselves to create their own competitive rule set. And it grew like wildfire to the point where if you were playing at a tournament, it was ITC, unless it was like at a Games Workshop store. But even then, a lot of them just kind of did it anyway, right? They didn't tell corporate and they just, and they did it uh, because it, it plugged the holes where Games Workshop wasn't paying attention, and it became so popular and so so um, people liked it so much that Games Workshop incorporated a lot of it into the rules for Ninth Edition. The improved terrain, um, a lot of the stuff that Ninth Edition does well came from ITC. The scoring system, I know that came from there, um, or at least was inspired by. I don't think it was a direct rip, um, but the idea that you you have these secondary tactics that are worth more than just tabling your opponent, right? So yeah. should there be something like that for Age of Sigmar? Should there be a competitive rule set um, created by the players with mass testing capable because Games Workshop can only do so much, right? They're, they're limited in terms of how many people they can get in touch with, how many people can give them feedback, how much feedback they can take. Um, there's all kinds of downsides, but what, what do you guys think? Would you be Would you be okay with a competitive rule set created by the players for Age of Sigmar? Um, I don't think, I mean, it'd be nice, but I don't think it's necessary. I think th the game isn't like, li like, like you said, like there was actually like a need for this in the 40k community, like a big one to where the players have to do something and then you don't get to take notice. I don't think the game is like that bad competitively. I mean, it's not that large competitively, but it's also not that bad competitively. And I think any minor tweaks, like for instance, we see, we saw that GT over in the UK that incorporated new terrain rules on its own for impassable limb scaring. You know, in my look, one of my local GTs, we had, um, I think we had rotating grand strategies. Like you couldn't pick the same one. You had to pick a new one every round. That was worth three points. Um, and there's little, these little tweaks are something like TOs can easily just do in their tournament packet where they don't have to write like their own entire competitive rules. 
Now, the fact that people are doing stuff like that says to me that players aren't totally satisfied with the way Games Workshop is handling the game. Well, sure, yeah, but it's, it's like we said, right? Like, the game is, like, at an 8.5, and the last 15% is what players can, like, tweak on their own without having to, like, sort of, like, write the whole thing by themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something, like, we can expect GW to, to, like, take notice and then add them eventually, or they could just become a part of regular tournament packets. Yeah. I don't know if I'd want a player-written rule set entirely at this point. Maybe yeah. if, if, like, the game becomes really egregious, sure. Yeah, I don't think it's it's bad enough at the point like 40k was wildly imbalanced in seventh and eighth it was it was hilarious how imbalanced it was right aos is doesn't feel that bad and i don't think it'll ever get that bad because it's just not as fast and it's not as shooty right so there's imbalance there's problems but it's not it's not that bad um now the good thing about a competitive set is that you know, Games Workshop would notice. And even if they didn't copy that rule set, it would at least signal to them like, hey, people don't like the way we've written the game to the point that they're writing the rules themselves. What are we doing wrong? What can we learn? What can we do better? Right? That's- the thing is, they're definitely, yeah, like they're paying more attention now. Like uh, Honest War Game releasing stats and everything, like according to their own designer's admission, they like they are actively paying attention. So if a bunch of like GTs end up, for, I don't know, banning Battle Regiment, they're going to pay attention. They're like, why are these people not playing with Battle Regiment? Yeah, that's that's kind of my thinking with it, is that that would be the benefit of it, right? Because obviously you're going to have problems, you're going to have imbalance, you're not, you're not going to have a perfect rule set, especially because players are amateurs, they're not professional game designers, they're doing it based off feedback, and design by consensus is never good. It's better to have a singular vision and try to enact that vision, right? Mass mm-hmm. testing is useful, but mass design is not, right? And and one of the big problems that ITC introduced into 40K is it made it really hard to get into. You you want to play a game? Oh, okay, what rule set do we want to use? You want to use this esoteric ITC format that half the tournaments use? Sorry, or all the tournaments? Or do you want to play the game the way it's written and actually have like a simple, easy-to-play kind of thing, right? And then how do you have a discussion online if everybody's using different rule sets? So unless everybody would get on board with a single competitive rule set, I think this would end up just fracturing the player base. And it's not a big player base. AOS is not a big game, right? It's like maybe 10% of what 40k brings in. AOS is not big. And and it's not that bad to the point where this would... I think this would probably end up just causing more problems than it fixes. Just got to live with an imperfect game, I suppose. Uh, Blackie in the chat says, in our group, we're thinking about changing scenery rules and some stuff talked about here could do well in our group too, like initiative role. Let us know how it goes, man. I, w- I would be curious to see what the game looks like with a couple house rules. Um, I-, I think if if any one thing about Age of Sigmar should change, it should be deciding turn one. Like, I think that's the biggest issue in the game because it dictates so much of the balance, so much of how you approach the game, how you approach list building. It affects every aspect of the game um, with players determining who goes first in round one. I think that should be changed to a dice roll. 40k had the same thing. Um, I don't know if you guys played at the start of 8th edition, but 40k had the exact same thing that Age of Sigmar does. Whoever finished deploying first got to go first, and they immediately switched it to a roll-off. They just, they didn't hesitate. They were done with that. They saw what was happening. They saw the direction the game was going in. 
no way. Uh, and that was a game that was just back and forth. There were no double turns like we have here, right? So it was less broken in 40K and they immediately changed it. So I think that that's something that has to go personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Randall, I don't think they are paying attention. At the Austin JT, they were unaware of the rules issues regarding pertaining to Apex Predators. They openly admitted they don't look at the Honest Wargamer stats. Then the recent update, they dropped points on unpopular units and increased points on popular units. That's a fundamental misunderstanding of what points do. It's kind of terrifying. Yeah, the battle scroll felt like... It felt like a, we tried. We want to give the impression that we're doing something, but the point changes were incidental and inconsequential, ultimately. There wasn't a big difference. The meta is pretty much exactly the same as it was before and for every army except anything with Kragnos in it and Nagash. Right. Mm -hmm. And Arcan, which are the three new War Scrolls, right? Like I, I like that they're willing to change War Scrolls. So I want to give credit where credit's due. Um, but I don't think they've they've had enough time to gather enough data to make meaningful changes to Age of Sigmar. And I don't think we're gonna get any meaningful changes until the new general's handbook in the summer. But by then, we're gonna have a new rule set. Mm -hmm. Which is gonna be a problem as we go forward. It's like, well, if we only get meaningful changes every year. And every year we also introduce a new realm that everybody's going to be playing in. How do you ever really balance the game? It's always going to be imbalanced. By the time they finish updating the game for Gur, we're already going to be in a new realm. That's true, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so overall, Age of Sigmar, state of the game. It's good. It's not perfect. It's good. It feels pretty good to play overall. I wish it was a slower game, more tactical, less focused on one drops and killing your opponent in two rounds. Um, but it's not so bad that we need to start making up our own rules yet. But if you guys do come up with some, um, if you think we missed something in the state of the game or if you have some house rules that you've been using and you really like, uh, let us know in the comments. We're curious to hear what you guys are, are thinking. Um, I think the only way Age of Sigmar gets better is if the players actually do something about it, right? It's not a big game, so your voice matters, which is one of the benefits of being a, let's say, a smaller game community, is that when you say something, the developers are more likely to listen. You're not just noise. You're a significant portion of the player base, which is nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, you guys have any closing thoughts before we sign off here? Uh, no, I'm just, uh, yeah, I like the game. I'm going to continue playing it. Uh, I have LVO next week, so we're going to see how that goes. Oh, what uh, are you bringing? Um, an Aliena Grande, I think. Oh. Just a different version of it. The Slightly Hunters and Warlord or Battle Regiment? I think I have to go Hunters. I think. Yeah, Roar There's, sucks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Roar sucks. Stomp sucks. Like yep. being Having an Annihilator Stomp and losing nine damage right off the bat, that sucks. Yep. Yeah, you can't afford to lose any damage from those squads. Yeah, so hunters is necessary. I think what I and secret tech guys, I really like the Knight Judicator as a counter to SCE mirrors playing Vanguard Raptors. Yeah, yeah. Great because if so you drop them thirty away, they can't hurt him. But if I shoot them back, I'll kill like three. So yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Knight Judicator yeah. is looking better and better. Definitely my next painting project. Yeah. 
Um, I have one. Primer's running, but yeah. Just one? Oh, well, for now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> mediocre hunt. Should be a great hunt. <laughs> I have three. I have three boxes. <laughs> so. uh, James, any final thoughts, bud? Um, just sort of wait. Uh, curious to see where we're going from here. Yeah. I wonder how often we're going to get updates to the game. If it's just going to be you know, December and summer, or if we're going to get more frequent updates like 40k. That'll be... I would say like 40k like every three, four months. Depending on, like, they didn't say they're going to do changes in every data slate. It's just if something needs, needs changing, they'll change it. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad they're willing to change War Scrolls. That's yeah, that's good. Credit where credit's due, man. They, the 40k update, the chapter approved thing they announced today, like 15 points more for a squad of Hive Guard. No, the Obelisk. It's like, nobody's going to take that. The problem isn't the points. It's the War Scrolls. Yep. That's right. The impact yeah. of the War Scroll is very different than the efficiency of the War Scroll. It's not a game about efficiency, like in a way it is, but the actual impact is what matters, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, that's it from us. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Hopefully this was uh, an interesting conversation, kind of jumped back and forth all over the place, but I, uh, it was good. I think I needed to get this off my chest. It's been, it's the salt has just been boiling up <laughs> inside me, you know, and I think I just had to get it out. Um, so. <laughs> Just one last thing. Congratulations again to Andreas SCE for winning our Night Relictor painting contest. We will be in touch with you, my dude. Look forward to that. All right, and uh, that's it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And